Now? Now? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, God. Oh, Boris. Perfect. Boris. Wow. Good job. Yeah. Is it going to be real? Yeah. No, it's not crazy. Okay. I was hoping for the plastic face. No, we'll do plastic face for the workout. Okay. When I looked Where at, are you? We're going to do it again? When I looked at the workout yesterday, I was yeah. thinking, we just need something to wake us up for the podcast. Yeah. And then we'll take a real pre-workout for the workout. Okay. Yeah. Seems legit. Here we go. Should be great. I see what you did to me. I feel like it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> are we? Do- how close are we? I don't know. To being done with that, that one. A, oh. Do not recommend mud gum pre-workout. Mud gum pre-workout is terrible. Yeah. Um, no, it's it literally seems like it's getting worse. It's so bad. Like that was less tasty. Well, I would. I think I would rather you put it in a shot glass. Yeah. And just enough water just to like lube Get it, it on all board. up. And then, yeah. Yeah. So I did a wheatgrass, <sighs> wheatgrass shot for the first time ever. Yeah. Yesterday. Where at? At my home. <laughs> <laughs> I was here. Uh, Sydney was over. She ordered dinner. And then um, she, she wanted to get a wheatgrass shot. And I said, I've wow. never had one. Yeah. So she said, Do you want one? I said, Sure. So I know that they're not the most flavorful things, but I'd never had one before. But I know they're also like really good for you for some reason. I don't know why, but they are. Yeah. So I uh, I got I got the wheatgrass shot and I did it and it was it wasn't horrible. Like I would probably rather do that than the mud gum because at least I feel like the wheatgrass shot is doing something for me where the mud gum is not. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the flavor is probably a little bit more unpleasant than the mud gum flavor. Yeah. And what it is, is, uh, when I used to work with horses, when you do the grain and you're feeding all the horses, you're getting all the grain together for the horses and you're, and you're doing out their things. Cause you just, yeah. you do all the buckets and then you walk the buckets to all the stalls as they're feeding them. Because once the first horse actually gets its feed, then all the other horses just start getting amped up. Yeah. So, like, if you just, like, actually took the scoops over, did the first horse, then went back in, got the scoops together, then did the second horse, it would be it would be madness. Because yeah. by the time you get to, like, the eighth horse, the horse that isn't going to be fed <laughs> till the end would be, like, killing someone. <laughs> so, you just do all the buckets. You know, most of the time, we would do all the buckets at night. Because mm-hmm. we'd give them dinner and then set up the buckets for breakfast. Gotcha. Um, but when you're actually doing that, right, like, let's say... I don't know, I've been in horse shows where I'm feeding like 30 or 40 horses at a time. So you're doing all the grain scoops and all this stuff, and that little bit of dust gets all in the air. Yeah. So when you're in that stall, like getting them all together, by the end, like you've breathed in enough of the like dust from the pellets and the sweet feed and all of that stuff or whatever, and like the hay and everything. And you get this like like thing inside of you, like you just ate like a bucket uh. of grain. That was what the wheatgrass was like. It was like like I just ate a bunch of horse food or something. Uh-huh. All in the shot. But the one cool <laughs> part was, is it came in this like little container, this little jar that has like a screw on lid. 
So I was thinking I'm going to keep some pre-workout in there in my disc golf bag because really? I find myself like I'm on my way to the course or something and I didn't have time to stop to get something. And then like I'm maybe I'm a little bit tired or maybe whatever. This way here I could like just pour some of the pre-workout into my Gatorade or whatever it is that I'm drinking. Okay. So I thought that was yeah. it was worth doing the shot. And who knows? Just to the, get the container. Just to get the little <laughs> container. And uh, who knows what kind of health you know, benefits that were, were brought to me through that shot. So Yeah, probably all of them. <laughs> I felt taller today, yeah. you know? It's like You can attribute today's workout to that wheatgrass shot, the yeah. fact that we make it through it. We'll see. Yeah. It'll be funny when you get to see what the workout is today. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I did not look at it. I meant to yesterday. Yeah. And then I was doing some research for like today. Yeah. And I was like, it's early in the morning. I need to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I went to sleep shockingly early yesterday. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. I just figured, fuck it. Like I was like, I knew. I know. Like we have the podcast. I know that we have the workout. And then I also have like a bunch of stuff I want to get done today. Yeah. Um. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just gonna go to sleep. So I took a melatonin, and I just went to sleep. Yeah. Like a boss. I was out, dude. It was insane. And then I woke up I woke up all disoriented and it was like two thirty in the morning. I was like, is it like six? <laughs> I looked and it was like two thirty nine. I was like, okay, oh cool. God. Uh and then with the daylight savings time, like I woke up at seven thirty, which would normally be eight thirty, and yeah. I was just wide awake. So I watched uh the eleventh and twelfth inning of the Korean wildcard series for the for the Korean baseball organization world series oh shit yeah it was pretty baller was it yeah it's just funny to see like how how big american baseball players are like yeah major league baseball players how big and how fast and how like whatever like you kind of like i always took hockey for granted like how fucking fast and how like crazy the nhl players are yeah and then i went and watched even like the american hockey league or like collegiate hockey and it yeah. just looks so slow and everybody looks so small yeah yeah it was the same thing like i'm watching baseball and like everybody just looks tiny one yeah. they're korean people so they're not really like the hugest people on the planet um but everybody just looks so small you're like yeah. god those baseball <laughs> players are huge in america <laughs> but anyways so that was that um so we were gonna get into some some crystal ball stuff first of all how was your halloween did you do anything for halloween no, no. literally did nothing like yeah. we had decorations up not one kid came by and we didn't have candy to pass out anyways because, I don't know, pandemic things and stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's I think it's kind of funny that this is a Halloween that if you were to take the pandemic away, was actually like a pretty nice Halloween yeah. weather-wise. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... And, and it was on a doomed. weekend. Yeah. yeah. And it was just doomed for something else entirely. Yeah. Like, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, it was what Saturday night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been like dope. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't like I had to move my wedding, and I kind of took that in stride. But I got chipped out of a sweet Halloween. Yeah, and now I'm pissed. Yeah, Halloween's one of my favorites. Like I just like, like I, I kind of always like hit the occasion with a good, good sense of style. You know, just yeah. randomly. It's like one of the things that I really enjoy is just like <laughs> dressing in a theme or. Yeah. You know, pulling something together that's just kind of outrageous. Um, I really enjoy it. And I, I love the creativity of Halloween. Yeah. <clears throat> and just kind of the night where like, like I, like I said before, like I, I like people that are kind of a little bit on the looser wild side. And I feel like Halloween really, really like you Allows know, brings that out. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you are someone else for the day or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I really, really enjoy Halloween. I have a lot of fun. 
Um, with it last year, we got all dressed up. We went all the way down to Detroit. We got all the way to this spot that we were like super pumped to be there. We were there for about 20 minutes and Gabby got a migraine and we came home <sighs> and I was like less than excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we went like all the way down there. Yeah. Yeah. And like spent weeks figuring it out and everything else. And then we came home. So I was like, all right, well next year Halloween will be sweet. Yeah. And then global pandemic. <sighs> So whatever next year's Halloween. Uh, oh uh, shit! <laughs> Look out! So we will, yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it goes. It should be fun. I would imagine there's going to be extra crazy parties just to make up for this year. Yeah, and yeah. I also think that uh, in ten days it's going to be outrageous the COVID numbers mm-hmm. because I saw a lot of um, you know I'm FOMO at home, so I'm just like yeah know, going through people's shit. And there's people at like huge parties and bars and like all this other stuff. Nobody has masks on and everything. Yeah. And I was like, and the numbers were already kind of climbing before that. So I was just thinking like, yeah, in a couple of weeks, these numbers are in ten days. These numbers are gonna be fucking crazy. Yeah, you know, so yeah, I know I was talking to uh, my family in California, and uh, they were saying there's just groups of kids coming by like families friends of families and whatever like yeah. not one person had masks on or anything it's yeah like i mean you guys are outside but you're all like kind of just clumped together and they're very like they haven't really moved like even though they're moving yeah <laughs> they're still like uh my dad's a a, a health freak about all this so yeah. i don't know and and in a place where it's like california seems to be kind of hot yeah. Yeah. Well, there's just a lot of population density. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't help anything. How many people in California? We looked, we did some numbers. It was like 39.9 million. Yeah. Yeah. Or Michigan has 10, 10 million. million. But yeah. that's an overestimate. We have less than 10. Yeah. Because we, we, uh, we crashed under 10 a few years ago. How many did Texas have? Wasn't it? Like I forget. I don't know. Texas has a lot. 20? I remember it being <coughs> less than California. Yeah. It's less than California. Yeah. Yeah. California is the highest population state. Yeah. I believe. Um, yeah, then Texas is, is really close, but yeah, California has just an an unbelievable amount of people. And then there's a bunch of people that's all like census stuff. Mm -hmm. So then there's a bunch of people that live there that are homeless, like an obscene amount of people live in California that are homeless. And so they're not really registered in that number. And then you have a ton of illegal immigrants that live in California and work in California. Right. That are also not registered. Right. So if it's a population of like 39 million or something like that, it's probably like well over 50. Yeah. Because you probably at least have 25% of the state's population that's not actually counted in that number. Yeah. You know, that was kind of one of the things when I lived in New York, that it would be like New York has like 11 million people in it during the day. Mm -hmm. That includes all the people that come in to shop, all the people that work, all the other stuff. But at like nighttime, this is when I lived there. Um, but at nighttime, actual residents of New York City, of Manhattan, mm-hmm. it was like 4 million or something. Yeah. So you had like 7 million people flux throughout the day. But actual like residents of New York City was like 4 million. Interesting. Yeah. So you look at like peak time when everyone's bridge and tunnel crowd coming in to work and shop and do all that. You're still like a third of Seoul, Korea. Right. Because yeah. Seoul, Korea, like during the day, is like 30 something million people. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> seems logic but uh yeah california has a crazy population density and pockets and all that stuff and yeah. so it's that state who knows who knows what's gonna happen i don't know it's an interesting time to be alive be safe family i love you yeah 
I saw some pictures of their house. Yeah, their new house. It's fucking sweet. Yeah, it sounded yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah, it is sweet. That like really fucking nice. Yeah, I'm excited to go visit at yeah. some point in time. I'm super happy for them, and like my sisters have space to do stuff now too. Like they have space just to do stuff versus yeah. like a really cool spot where they're at, but no yard. <laughs> it's like maybe two feet by two feet wide or something is like the little patch of grass they have yeah now they actually have a yard and and tot the dog can run around and not just be inside <laughs> yeah that was one of the things when i when i came back to michigan was like there's a lot of stuff in new york that i missed um once i got sober there's a lot less stuff in new york that i missed <laughs> yeah but uh no, like it was crazy. Like the the last apartment I was living in, I was living with this girl Katie, and we lived on the fifth floor of a five floor walk up. So there's no elevator mm-hmm. in Harlem, 149th and Broadway. So it's loud as fuck and like whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was like sixteen hundred dollars a month for Jeez. it was basically a studio. It was a studio that had like a it's called like a railroad apartment. So everything's like on a line. Okay. So you come in the door. Here's the living room. There's the bedroom. There's the kitchen. There's the bathroom. Yeah. Like they're all yeah. just on a hallway, but yep. it's basically like a studio. And that was like $1,600 a month. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was probably less than, I don't know. I don't know. It was probably like 800 square feet, maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, 700 square feet. I don't know. But then when I came back here, it was like I rented an apartment on Coolidge. That was like two bedrooms and all this other stuff. And like my my rent for the apartment was like, nine hundred dollars or something yeah and i was like yeah this is way better yeah way better. <laughs> i like this <laughs> yeah Cigar- i was smoking cigarettes at the time when i left new york were like over 10 bucks mm-hmm. yeah and i came back here and they were like seven something and i was like yeah cool and nice. i can eat <laughs> food's good i got money for stuff it's nice there's grass i can play disc golf yeah like, oh, this is nice <laughs> but yeah it's funny you could take like like my house which is like fine it's not like a bad house it's not nothing yeah. luxurious but if you put this house and this lot somewhere else, it'd be like millions of dollars. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like when I spent all the time in Miami, there's like, if you have a yard in a decent house, even if you're way the fuck on the outskirts of like Miami, it's still like over a million dollars. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like just seeing, I don't know, like my, my family's good at networking. My stepmom, like she goes to a lot of the events or whatever. So she gets real flappy with all the other parents and everything and they always tend to be like yeah we live at such and such and then she's like oh wait like this house because we'll drive by it all the time yeah there's one house on uh the pch highway that's like looking over the ocean that is basically made out of glass super cool crazy expensive there she like made friends with them and i forget what they did for a living but it's like you just have all these crazy millionaires and it's funny because out there most of the smart millionaires just drive like beater cars because yeah. they invest their money in everything else. Yeah. Versus I feel like out here it's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> like they'll, they'll flash everything off. And then, um, what was it? So like, it was just funny cause you could see somebody driving like an 80 something yeah. beat to shit, rusty, whatever. And they could just own like some business that you use every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah, I think it just comes down. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that it comes down to, but you know, it's like Bill Gates, his outfit could cost him like 80 bucks total, yeah. including the shoes. And the <laughs> yeah. guy's worth like 60, 70 billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I joked around with Gabby about that before when, when, uh, when we were joking around about winning the lottery. Yeah. And I was like, you know, uh, 
like at some level, I think, you know, if you won the lottery, how much your life would change or how much your interests would change or how much what you're doing would change it. Like the difference between today and that moment, like at some ways, like a, a indicator of like how happy or how well adjusted you are in your life mm-hmm. is, is how I took it. You know, and my thing was like, if I won the lotto, my life would be the same. Um, I would just be able to do what I like to do more than I'm currently doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then I could like tour and do all that stuff and whatever. Yeah. But like not too much would really change. Like obviously I would get a different house, you know. Mm-hmm. But my life would pretty much like stay the same. Like I wouldn't all of a sudden be like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, I think that that's the thing. Like those people that work hard and like start some like smart tech company or something and then they make a bunch of money or whatever. They're still like, cool. Like they did it because they wanted to and they figured it out and whatever. But it's not like, oh yeah, now you're going to bow to me because I have this money. <laughs> it was funny when I, lived, right. when I lived in New York and you go down to like the financial district. It's the opposite of that. Yeah. It's all these little dudes. Running, <laughs> running around in like eight thousand dollar suits <laughs> with like six foot tall girlfriends yeah he's like yeah i made it yeah <laughs> <laughs> who's the little guy now buddy and uh yeah i went to tau in uh, uh, new yeah. york uh ariana who was the girl i did it she's an architect she um designed one of the owner's apartments okay and so we could go like we would just go down there and we would never get hooked up and so we would go to, well we went down there like twice and the second time we went there i was like yeah i just don't like going there like it's beautiful it's 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 outrageously beautiful but it's like just the scene is so weird yeah it's all these little dudes in suits and like <laughs> want to be models or real models i don't know i yeah. don't follow modeling too much but i was yeah. just like yeah i'm not into this scene <laughs> this is like not not my thing but uh yeah anyways that's hilarious to the world of disc golf yeah so uh so we we had talked last time. We we're going to bring some stuff to the table about some prediction stuff and uh, and wrap up this year in terms of player of the year, yeah. rookie of the year, men's side, women's side, and then um, move into predicting next year's USDGC mm-hmm. World's Champion, mm-hmm. Disc Golf Pro Tour Champion, mm-hmm. and Deglo. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So go for it. <laughs> just go well, i'll do my player of the year i'm gonna stick okay. with what i said last week i did a yeah. little bit of research and uh, i'm gonna stick with calvin for player of the year mm-hmm. i think actually um because dickerson didn't play a bunch of the early season stuff on tour um i'm gonna i'm gonna think just from like actual like participation in the tour and all that um i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's between probably calvin or paul yeah and actual like how that goes paul won points and everything else um and I'm going to edge it out to Calvin because I think he did better. USDGC, he did better um, at the championships. Um, and I, th- I think overall he deserves it. Yeah. So I'd give Calvin the nod for men's player of the year. Rookie of the year on the men's side. I don't know. I was thinking maybe Ezra, if that counts, mm-hmm. as a rookie of the year. Um, like because he's got muscles? No, because okay. like, you know. He was pretty high up a few times. Yeah. And I don't really know who else qualifies for Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Okay. And then women's <laughs> side, I'm going to go with Paige as Player of the Year and Haley King as Rookie of the Year. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, I mean, that's who I had for them. And I, in my research, I came across um, Ulti World putting together like a bunch of really good stuff. Yeah. And I'm pretty as sure. As they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks. I think Paul's gonna edge Heimberg out because Paul's got more 
of the check marks across the board for everything. I forget what they are. I can pull them up if you want. Um, but I figured I was going to link everything here so everyone can see it. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, but Paul's just got, he's got like three more check marks versus Cal or two more check marks versus Calvin. Yeah. In more consistent finishes. Um, didn't finish outside of top 10 versus like he was the only person to do it in contention of everything else so like he was more in the mix of everything just didn't, he didn't win as finish much, out of, like he didn't finish out of top 10 all year yeah okay yeah which is kind of nutty yeah just a little it's bit. aggressive yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah it's it's just funny every time because it's like i don't know there's like the weird whispers of like Paul's washed up and this and that and whatever. I think it's just like Paul just found a level and just other people are just getting up there. So his ability to win versus all these other competitors that are crazy good yeah. isn't as much so as it was before, I feel like. Yeah. Because you have all these other guys that are obviously shooting crazy good golf or just hunting you from a card or two behind. Like just, I'm going to get you. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I feel like Dickerson's nickname should be something else. <laughs> Boy, you heard it here first. Yeah. Woo. yeah. Wow. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I just, I, I feel like Robot Chicken just doesn't do it. Yeah. I feel like it should just be something, I don't know, like Hunter, but that's weird because all I think of is Hunter from Cruise. <laughs> The male model, yeah, yeah, or the aspiring male model who now works at Quicken Loans, yeah, and probably loves it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you love me now, mom? No. Anyways, ah, uh, I didn't know that so, he finished top ten all all year. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, Nico was one of my guys, uh, not in contention, but they, he got into the article because they also acknowledged his improved play versus in years past like he's made it to his highest rating ever this year like yeah. i think it was 1031 was the highest and i think he made it to 1036 this year which is okay i yeah, think of that. <laughs> um who else did they have i don't i mean they had basically everybody that you would think everybody who finished well like Dickerson, KJ, Macbeth, Ricky, and Eagle. Eagle. They had them all up there, but they were all just like all of it's leading towards Macbeth because Macbeth won everything, get, got the most check marks. Yeah. Not outside of top 10. Heimberg, both like him and Dickerson have shot really hot rounds, but uh, Macbeth was more consistent throughout the year. But Fred, I think, I think he brought up a good point which is player of the year should be maybe not based off of points in leaderboards. Maybe it's like an overall, um, I don't know, like, like kind of how, what happened with Nico, like maybe if he did more, he could have earned player of the year through going through what was that? Like maybe the most improved, most this and that, whatever. I don't know if that makes sense. It kind of makes sense to me. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I just think that that would be something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you could have something else. Right. Like performer of the year or something. Like, yeah. You know, or performance of the year or whatever. Yeah. 
breakthrough of the year. I don't know. Whichever. Yeah. But I think like your player of the year, it's going to be like in other sports where they have like MVPs and all that stuff. It's going to have to be based on some kind of formula. It can't be on a feel of like, you know, because then it gets political. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it'd have to be based on some kind of criteria. I don't know. I think with Paul, in terms of like, um, Paul's obviously not washed up in any way. No. But I think you have some, there's going to be a shift in Paul, right? Because after last year's season, his life has changed dramatically, right? Yeah. Like he has financial security like no other disc golfer from disc golf. Because yeah. I don't know everybody's background. People could be trust fund kids and have started disc golf knowing that they never actually have to work and they'll always be taken care of. I know right. a couple of those people. Yeah. But um, from his own achievements, like he has like very much achieved a level of like financial security that most people don't live with. Um, and then, you know, getting married, buying a house, buying land, building a disc golf course, doing all that stuff and seeing kind of the, the future of like the work that he's put in um, and taking his eye off of just being dominant, mm -hmm. right? Like building his disc golf course. And like I said, like being married, you know, like I always laugh at when I'm playing tournaments and something and like you see somebody that literally just plays all the time. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I have to mow my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I have a house to take care of. Yeah. I have a fiance to keep happy. Like I have all that stuff and it's like, yeah, it is, there is something to it if, like, you can literally just go and play all the fucking time and mm -hmm. you don't have all this other stuff. And I think Paul has, like, kind of accumulated some life stuff that takes up time, that takes up focus, that takes up whatever. And so I think you're seeing a year of, like, adjustment. One, it's a COVID year, so it's hard. Like, it's hard anyways to use as, like, a real evaluation of where you're at. But I think this would be, like, a bounce back kind of year of last year, right? So he, like, won world last year. He came out with all new discs. And pretty much dominated. So then I think the recoil from that is like, you know, like the missus needs some time. Yeah. You know, like there's, you can't just keep grinding that hard and not have like other stuff that you need to get in the way. You know? Yeah. Um, even like Kobe Bryant and stuff, you know, you have that where like you figure that out at a certain time of like, you can dedicate all of your time to just doing this craft and to being the best that you can. And in the end, you're going to be the best at it alone. Yeah. With really nothing else in your life going on. And there's yeah. plenty of people that have lived out that path. And I think, um, you know, at some point you make that decision of like, I'm going to take Hannah out to eat a couple of times a week. Yeah. And we're going to go on a vacation. And yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to be available to do the stuff that she wants to do, even though she likes disc golf and you know, all this other stuff. And I think that that's kind of what last year was. I also know that he probably hates not winning. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking like this year coming up, barring injury we'll see yeah we'll see i think that this will be an important year for him in terms of like how competition goes you know but i don't see him breaking in terms of like well i guess i'm just not gonna be at the top mm -hmm. and then going for youtube followers or whatever the fuck it is yeah you know i think he's still gonna be like no i want to fucking win mm -hmm. so we'll see this i think year. so i think we'll see this year coming up how that's gonna go yeah you know He's just gonna come firing out the gates. We'll see. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. What, what if he did another grand slam, just, just to do it? Yeah, I think that that would uh, that would be ridiculous. So yeah. we we had talked before. I know this is off track. What we were talking about, but we had talked before about like the goat. You know, and like I hands down think that Ken Climo is the greatest champion of all time. Mm -hmm. 
because like he dominated yeah for a long time um but i think the greatest player is paul because i think like what he brought to the game and how he's impacted the game and how many people have taken what he did to get good and then have just followed it and then have also had success Mm -hmm. you know not that that didn't happen with ken but i think like paul definitely kind of changed the game um it'd be interesting to see people after him if that happens again or whatnot you know i think it will yeah i think you have somebody else come in where it's just like holy shit you know i don't know if that's eagle or calvin or somebody that we haven't met yet or kyle yeah. you know like it could be any number of people that just come in and you're like holy shit mm-hmm. you know that has all of the things um i don't know but i think like you know he he's he's been a great player and uh it'll be interesting to see like how his competitive edge bites back yeah be like i gave you all the attention you needed last year hannah <laughs> leave me alone yeah i the- i have faces and they have yeah they have yeah. needs yeah yeah and I'm here to, here you to know, do it. Do it. Yeah. I, I am the guy. So you think Paul's yeah. going to win player of the year and then rookie of the year? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I didn't really get that far in okay. my research. Like, I don't want to say Ezra because he's like the first one that comes to mind. But like I root for Phil because yeah. Phil had like awesome shit happening. But he also got forced to DNF because of his foot. Because yeah. he throws so hard, or whatever the hell it is that happened on that T pad, all yeah, crazily. Yeah, and his foot yeah. are a disaster. His feet are yeah. a disaster before that. Yeah. Well, right. his one foot is, it's, and not even just it's just his toe. Yeah, it's not like he had pristine feet, and then something bad <laughs> happened. And you were like, "Well, that's weird." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> However, he lives his life is hard on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, I don't know, but I had Paige and Haley for yeah. player and rookie. Yeah, for sure. I think that's. A unanimous thing yeah um but i mean it'll be interesting it was cool to see because i've never actually pulled up that information there's a whole document of like how many points get assessed to certain player at certain finishes at said tournaments or whatever yeah which i don't know i didn't realize i don't know why i didn't realize that before but i realized it yesterday when i seen it it's like oh okay and then i really wanted to uh after i found that I wanted to make like the the Rob spreadsheet and everything, and then yeah. I was like, I wouldn't get to bed until the podcast yeah. was supposed to go. So I'm not gonna do that because I want some sleep. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting, just to be able to see all that information. Yeah. So if you want to see it, it's on PDGA. <laughs> yeah. It's in a weird spot because it's under like, uh, I. Ha- I typed in player of the year or whatever, and I had like the whole breakdown and then it had a separate link of the points and it brought you like down to the very bottom of the article instead of it being on a separate page. I don't know. It was weird to me, but either way, yeah. it's there. Some of the stuff when I go looking for information through the PDGA website is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like Just today, or no, yesterday, last night when I was laying in bed, I was looking up like worlds 2021. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're going to be in Ogden, Utah, right? Okay. The same as they were going to be this year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like, no list of like courses yeah like, here's the courses they're gonna be at yeah blah 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 blah, blah. i was like no so then i'm trying to like and i just yeah. like yeah okay cool so sweet <laughs> yeah like are they wooded you know what yeah. i mean is it like wide open like what is it and then i was just thinking like well it's utah and i don't yeah. know maybe the thinking we just we got it on the board nobody's yeah. really going to be looking at it right yeah. now yeah so yeah. get off my back darren yeah yeah we're the ones that brought you pete weber <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we are the podcast that's ahead of the curve. Yeah. This Wayne's World disc golf approach so, that we have. What do you think? So who's world champion? For next year? For right now. Uh it's an it's an it's an empty spot. Mm-hmm. I there is no. that will never be filled. There is no world champion. Yeah. It's gonna be the one fucking year with a gap because of you know, whatever. So there's gonna the golf, ball golf, traditional mm-hmm. golf. There's gonna be the masters. Yeah. They're doing it in November. Really? It's normally in April. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, because they don't want to have a year with no masters champion. Yeah. So I just saw a commercial for it. I almost shit my pants. Yeah. I was like, Oh my god, they're gonna have the masters in yeah. November. They're gonna do it. What the fuck? Yeah. Disc golf. They're like, oh, no champion this year. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, whatever. It's weird. It yeah, it's going to be strange. Yeah. It'll what be. happened? Oh, Because that's going to be the weirdest way, I mean, for disc golfers to remember it, of like yeah. the global pandemic. Yeah. Well, what, ha- what, what happened with you? Well, there was no champion. There was no champion. Yeah. Yeah. Who was the world we champion? Got we got fucked out of a Halloween and there was yeah. no world champion. Yeah. What the fuck? The worst year ever. Oh, all right. Oh, so next year we'll do them. The first one's going to be what? Worlds, right? Worlds is going to be before USTGC mm-hmm. and be- definitely before the tour championship. Yeah. All right. So we'll start with D Glow. So who wins D Glow at Slabnabin Toboggan? Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think our answers are going to be very similar. Okay. It's going to be back and forth between Heimberg and Dickerson. You think so? Yeah. But, I mean, Paul's obviously going to be in the mix. Yeah. I feel like what you say is true where he's like, you got enough attention. I have, I, I need to go give this some attention. Yeah. It's needed. People think they're getting good, and yeah, I need to go tell them no. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to see KJ up there more. And not on the tee pad, falling and throwing aces. Maybe just like stick the landing and throw an ace. Yeah, uh, that'd be sweet. <laughs> so I feel like he hindered himself with all the injuries he tried giving himself the past couple tournaments. Yeah. Um, Heinberg's gonna hone in his monotone, whatever <laughs> type of attributes he's got going on in his head. He's just gonna hone it in. Yeah. And then Dickerson's gonna keep doing Dickerson things. Maybe Eagle's going to fight some more plants and stuff this year. I don't know. Yeah. That'd be cool to see. So who do you think is going to win Deeglo? So, <laughs> I don't... I know who's going to be gonna there. S- yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm just going to say Heimberg. You're Heimberg's going to win. Heimberg's going to win Deeglo. Yeah. It's your turn. I know. I'm thinking. Okay, so who's going to win Deeglo? Ah. <sighs> uh, 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 uh. All right, so last year, the two hot rounds, which I told you right before we started Who's going to win D-Glow? I don't know. I'd like to see Kyle win. Yeah. Because he won the Amnats. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably as familiar with the course as anybody. He's going to have a little bit more confidence mm-hmm. um, going into it next year. I don't know. He's proven that he can throw with those guys. It'd be in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm. that's where D-Glow's at. Yeah. I'm just showing off everything I know. <laughs> And he's alive and a human. His discs, he's blonde. His he's, discs are round. He's like 5'7". Is that, is that how tall he is? He's not very tall. Yeah, He's probably that. like 5'11", yeah. 5'10", somewhere right yeah. there. Um, I don't think Eagle's going to repeat. Nope. No. I think it's going to be between Dickerson, Paul, 
Calvin and Kyle. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just calling it all out. So I think like it's going to be between those four. <laughs> so who's going to win D Glow? He said condescendingly like Darren. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm going to go with Paul. Yeah? I'm going to go with Paul. I wasn't going to go with Paul till we were just sitting here just now. Yeah. And now I'm going to go with Paul. <laughs> yes. Because I think... I He's going to make that much of a statement. I think exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. He, he has definitely thrown the best round on the course. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just, I think he's going to do it. I think that there's going to be certain things next year that he's going to specifically focus on. Like 2019, he skipped some shit and just went and played Worlds for like weeks mm -hmm. to get dialed in for that. And I think like there's going to be tournaments that he's going to definitely spend more time um, doing it. I think it being a Discraft tournament. I think it being in Michigan. Um, and I think it being like where he shot 18 down, I think that it's going to get a little special, mm -hmm. a little special focus. Yeah. A little, little drilling in. Um, I think if he doesn't do well at D glow, it's not going to be a good indication for the year. Like, I think if he goes okay. out, if he goes out to D glow and just can't pull it together, I don't think that that's going to be a good indicator for the rest of the year. Right. Because I don't think it's going to be one of those things where he just kind of overlooked it or he didn't really get ready or he didn't put the time toward yeah. it or he didn't whatever. I think it's going to be like he's going to do everything that he can do to do well there. And if he can't do well there, that's going to be a problem. Right. So I would say I'm going to go. I'm going to take Paul. All right. I'm also going to try not to have us both just take Calvin for everything. <laughs> so on this one, I'm going to take Paul. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. All right. So then Worlds. Mm. Who won at Utah last time? When, when, when was Utah? I don't know. We have to look this up. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. Let's see. PDGA. Whoa. Utah is close to Colorado. That doesn't mean that Eagle's going to win. Colorado is the Eagle. <laughs> Colorado is the Eagle? Yes. Okay. <laughs> So maybe maybe by proximity he'll be uh he'll have some kind of hometown advantage. We're just gonna go to pdga.com. I'm sure it's gonna be really easy to navigate to the information you want. It's probably gonna be super easy. Yeah. Wow, your internet loves me. I think it's your phone, because my internet is deluxe. Okay. <laughs> that was for oh you, buddy. Ah. <laughs> uh fans and rob i'm so sorry oh that's okay. okay i spent some time this weekend playing a little bit of uh yahtzee which mm. was nice with the uh, with the ladies and i did not do well i pride myself on my yahtzee skills but uh we played a whole sheet i won two columns gabby won two columns and sydney won two columns but sydney won the sheet total gabby came in second on the sheet total and actually came in third which was disappointing Nice. I felt like I was the favorite. Because, like, total lifetime games played. Like, Gabby's played, like, 20 games. Sydney, I think, played, like, a couple of games before that. And I've played, like, thousands of games. But uh, I couldn't pull it out. I just couldn't get the numbers. I had one really bad game. No really great games. <laughs> that was that. Why can't I just look up 2018 PDGA World Champion? And it pulls up 2019... 2020, 2019, 
wow that's great you know what i give up cool yeah all right so that is super annoying 2021 that's what i said trying to get to the information you need yeah and i'm sure we'll get comments underneath of like oh it's really easy yeah yeah. but i'm old and i can be crotchety and just yell at technology but i find the website to be and i feel like i'm not you're not i'm not like typing in something crazy no i know i feel like typing in 2018 pdga world championships should get me something along the lines of anything 2018 pdga related yeah and world no. championships in no. the title no. okay i'm sorry i'm so sorry i find that i have better luck if i just search google yeah. and then that actually gets me to the right page on pdga and yeah. then i go there i'm serious <laughs> yeah like to actually I find something because when i do the search on pdga it just Wait, gives what me if nonsense I did that? let's look well, well let's test this we're just gonna google 2018 pdga So I'm thinking going into worlds, you know. Oh, look at that. It pulled it right up. I told you. Okay. Oh, that's right. That was Vermont. I knew Barsby won, but okay. So we're going to go 17. <laughs> <laughs> 17 was Ricky. Yeah. Yep. Augusta. I think 16 was Emporio. Mm. Now I'm just doing this because I really want to know. I know. Where was it? Utah. Right? Oh, my gosh. I thought it was. Is it further back? I don't know. 2021. Portland. I could have sworn there was a world championship there. Like since I've been playing. Yeah. In Utah. Oh my. What? I'm at 2012. Oh, here we go. If you just go to Wikipedia. Oh. I got it. You got it? Yep. Okay. Thank you. Okay. 91. 92 was in Detroit. Ken Climo. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 96 was in South Bend, Indiana. 97 was in North Carolina. Ooh, 2000, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Utah. Mm. I'm, dude, I'm going. Utah. 2008, which I know because I collect those rogues, nice. Kalamazoo, Battle Creek, Michigan. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. Utah. I'm still going. <laughs> it's never been in Utah. Really? Yeah. Never. Okay. Not even close. Okay. I could, <laughs> I could have sworn there was one. Nope. Maybe I'm thinking, well, I'm for sure thinking of a different tournament. There have been tournaments in Utah. Well, yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but there's the, the big one. Um, I don't know. Yep. I remember Culling was on it. Drew Gibson threw really far in a couple holes. Culling was like, what the shit, man? Like, because he's parking 650 foot holes when he's like, I got to throw two shots to get there. Yep. It happened. It was a thing. I yep. remember because I watched it. Sounds good. This is probably the Utah Open. Great. Okay. <laughs> Why must you do this? Do what? So okay. who's going to be the world champ? World champ? Yep. Paul. You think Paul's going to win again? Yeah. I don't want to pick the same guy over and over. Yeah. I feel like we don't like once you choose said person, you can't just pick him again. I think you can. I don't think you can. Okay. 
Okay. So you think? I mean, Paul, you probably can. So you think Paul's going to win the worlds? Yeah. Okay. Who else do you see in the mix, and why do you see Paul winning? Uh, I mean, because you made a really good point, and I see that entirely because yeah. of. You think he's just going to focus on the world? Yeah, yeah, because he's done it before. Yeah, and he did it when, when it was in Pittsburgh, like yeah. year, however many years, like three years ago, was in Pittsburgh or whatever. He had two or three course records to like come back and get into the mix and then take it. Yeah. Um. So I think he'll have something along that like hopefully it comes out like a hundred percent that'd be sweet yeah um and i think kyle kyle's gonna be in the mix i think more this year because his demeanor is i don't know it's really funny how he holds himself because he holds himself really well even if like he's screaming on the inside how he holds it like what he does like pirouette spins around a bunch or whatever says gosh a lot yeah but doesn't like it's just that little outburst and then it's gone basically. And like, it's just kept to the side, whether it's there or not. So I think he's got a really good head on his shoulders. He's young. He's already placed in the top 10, top five in some of these big tournaments finishing the year. And he's confident, but he's mad because (laughs) he's not playing where he knows he can be. Yeah. So I think there's some sort of fire behind him there just in that alone. Yeah. So if he knows he has more and he's placing along the lines of where he's at now, I mean, that equals success, I feel. So he's going to be in the mix more this year, I feel like. Yeah. Um, Hopefully he does a lot of practice putting because watching (laughs) the USDGC and then where he finished and just... I think that's where his nerves come in. Yeah. I think he's super confident off the pad. Yeah. And where his nerves come in is on the putt. Yeah. Yeah. So. Because his stroke is good. Yeah. yeah. It's just. And when he's confident, it's dead on. Yes. Once he takes that little hesitation before he putts. Yes. Cage size. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I mean, like, I want him to putt more and get more comfortable. And then just, I think, getting through that this year, that set of nerves from the platform that he was playing on moving into next year so it's usually one of those like if you're starting a new job and you've never waited tables before and talking to your first table it's like i don't even know what's gonna happen and you just start just saying a bunch of stuff just to say it yeah and then you go back and like oh it wasn't that bad and the guy training you is like yeah it was pretty bad but you got you did it yeah so now the next time you do it it's easier and then easier and easier i think it'll be kind of the same thing here hopefully Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think that you get two things. So you, you have something of, you know, um, like they've talked about on commentary in terms of like nervous putting. Mm-hmm. Like when you're young, you just fucking run everything because yeah. you haven't quite seen all the consequences for when shit goes bad. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, I'll make the comeback and whatever. Yeah. Um, and you go from like young Nico to like today's knee <laughs> yeah and and that happens a lot in putting like yeah. you start off when you're young and you're fearless and you're running everything and like you you give it enough juice to make it for 10 feet farther away than you are yeah and all that and you're just like yeah i'm gonna make fucking yeah. everything and then watching nico putt in practice versus yeah. actually putting is hilarious how different it is yeah but then you get to the round and you've lost tournaments yeah on your putting yeah right yeah which has happened and you've you've had like 
really good rounds where like you kind of screwed it up because you missed a couple of these putts. That stuff sticks with you and sticks in your head. And I think you go one of two ways. Either you double down, put in all the work, so then you feel confidence on the course. All practice putting, I told Will this is like last week or whatever. I was like, all practice putting is trying to do is solidify muscle memory and gain confidence. Yeah. And I don't think that there's any formula that works for everybody to do those two things. Mm-hmm. You figure out something that works for you or you don't. It's very yeah. difficult to do. It's very difficult to figure out. And only a few people really figure it out. And that's why you only have like a handful of like truly great putters under every situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if he can figure it out and he can really like figure out what to do in the off season and what to do early in the season and all that to really solidify his confidence putting during big tournaments, then I think that that'll do well. But there's also like plenty of those guys that when they're first starting out, expectations on them are low. Everything they do is like, oh, well, he's a young guy and he's this and that. But as you start like being in the mix regularly, that low expectation goes away. Now you have expectations on you. You're playing under a different set of pressure. And can you figure out how to still fearlessly work on being a great putter or not right so it'll be interesting to see how that goes because that's mm-hmm. the real trick right drive for show putt for dough and yeah. the reality is is like you're never going to really be a champion until you are a great putter yeah unless you're like i mean i don't we just haven't seen it yet right mm-hmm. i guess in common era of disc golf yeah we have yet to see someone like really be a champion that wasn't a great putter like when ricky uh, avery kind of I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I wish we could have. I would say after. I'm still talking about like after Paul. Okay. Because I think the putting in general before yeah. Paul came along was like one thing. Yeah. I, think that... I mean, I think he definitely started the era of like the cert, like to be a great pro, your 30 yeah. foot circle is like you're making eight of 10. Yeah. And then outside of that is whatever. The circle that you're trying to be 100% is. Uh, from 30 feet and then from circle two now is like eight of 10 yeah because the circle is just that much it's 40 feet is where you need to be like highly consistent not just consistent yeah unless you're consistent 100 percent of the time like you're making a lot of money yeah um because there's people like ezra if he couldn't putt what the fuck's the point yeah because it's <laughs> you're just throwing right. stuff all willy-nilly but yeah. he can putt yeah. obviously yeah, then you have Barella on an off day. Yeah. Yeah. You can get up to the pin faster than any other human being on the planet. Yep. And then just... Take a nine. Yeah. Just, or whatever. Yeah. Back and forth it. Yeah. But I would say like since Paul. like I, I mean like common era of, of disc golf championships would be like yeah. since Paul. I yeah. think after Paul, like in order to be a champion, you have to be a great putter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there haven't been a lot of people that have been able to do that. Like everybody that wins, you can look at and be like there's something outstanding about their putting, mm-hmm. right? Like w- Ricky won two world championships when he was hands down the most dominant putter in the world. Yeah. Like at that point, his putting was like fucking dumb. Yeah. You were like, okay, yeah. cool. Little yeah. nose down from 70 feet, standstill putt. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Easy. Why not smash those yeah, all Yeah, it there? was bonkers. Yeah. Like that's probably, I mean, Paul has disgusting putts, but I think Ricky, when he was like peaking, like yeah. redlining his putters. Yeah is the stupidest yeah in the best way possible yeah just watching those was dumb yeah, yeah. like and little... i know um i remember remember it like cam todd when he won worlds i think he legit legends uh, as it carries or whatever the fuck it is 
he missed no putts from the 30 foot circle at the time and he's not like a far throwing guy he's just a really consistent guy very unique putting style and missed zero putts yeah wins worlds yeah yeah well it's kind of thing like you get into different people like like i said like all of those people have something remarkable about their putting Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Eagle is a remarkable putter. He yeah. won twice last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's like a coincidence. Ricky won the worlds when he was like a ridiculous putter. Paul wins a lot because he is one of, if not the best putter mm-hmm. when he's out there, you know, the 18 down that last putt was like, um, like not really a gimme, but he's in no. circle too. And you, everybody's yeah. like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's just kind of how you looked at his round. Yeah. Or, um, or it's, you see where he lands, you know how he putts, and you're like, this is for sure going to be a run, yep. and it's probably going to be really close. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then you look at, like, all the people that are really competitive. You know, Conrad is a fucking ridiculous putter. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get into, like, Simon. Like, that's one of the big things with Simon is, like, his putting is hit and miss. Yep. Like, he can go out some rounds and, like, hit his putts, and then you see other rounds where it's like, man, if he could putt, Mm-hmm. that'd be ridiculous yeah you know but even like kevin jones circle two putting is stupid yeah chris dickerson circle one circle two putting is ridiculous yeah just chris's putting in general yeah. is kind of nutty he watching him more and i had it yesterday because i was watching um more of like the myrtle beach open yeah which was fun like, that was a fun tournament to watch yeah i like it's a pretty sweet yeah. course uh course even is, like the two yeah, courses yeah, yeah. the I forget which one it is, but the one they started on. Yeah. Um, I even liked the weird gimmicky hole that was like 250 feet. And it was like you're shooting out of trees from this chute here. And then you had the OB that kind of ran across this way. And it kind of played like a peninsula. And you had a safe spot or you could just kind of get lucky through. Yeah. I like that hole. I know yeah. Philo did not like that hole at all. Um, I like the one with the road through it too, where you just play yeah. down the road. It remi- did it remind of you of any hole here in Michigan? The one I'm thinking of, you have played it before. I don't know. It reminds me of a hole at River Bends. Oh, seven or whatever. Yeah, yeah, just a bigger version of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that was great because I didn't catch it um, when they were doing the flyover. So when I turned and was watching it and he landed in the road and Philo's like, oh, it's because I was thinking, oh, shit, that's OB. But it was way down there. And I was like, oh, that's just what I, I didn't realize that it was a road that just played the whole fairway. That is the yeah, hole. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was like, this is such a weird hole. Kind of where'd he go or whatever. Yeah. Um, you said these slivers of inbounds. Yeah. yeah. But most of the holes OB. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, not yeah. The case. Oh, it was great. It was fun to watch Barry. Yeah. It was great. High fashion bowl cut. But what what's with the like uh, keychain wristband things around his knees? Uh, I think those are the um, the same thing like Paul wear, uh, wore when he fucked up his knee to keep the kneecap in place. I just think it's a different version of it. Or he's super stylish. I'm not sure. I think it's super stylish because yeah. the, what you're talking about is a patella strap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the strap. It's got like a little pad in the front yes. and then it's a little thin band. And what it does is it keeps pressure on your patella ligament yeah. or patella tendon and kind of helps to keep your kneecap in place and keeps the pressure off of the front bone. Okay. What Barry was wearing are like the plastic, like corkscrew things that you wear around your wrist for like keychains. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just strictly, maybe it's like, I don't know. It's not a patella strap though. Cause that's what I was thinking. I was like, Oh, that's a weird patella strap. And then I was like, no, it's not. Yeah. Cause it's way below the kneecap too. So that's why I was like, I don't really know. Cause Amanda's like, what's he wearing around? I think it's, it's just style. It's just style. Maybe. 
It was great to see. Yeah. He was playing really well. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he threw can, a couple of really sweet shots. Yeah. He can still got awesome out there. Putts. Yeah. yeah. His, when I watched the old stuff, his is the only putting style I thought that really translated to today. Yeah. Like when you watch like Ken's putting and Scott's putting and even Ron Russell's putting and all those guys from like way back in the day. The it's only, not really there. The only one that putts and you're like, oh, people kind of putt like that now or that putting would even be relevant today mm-hmm. is Barry Schultz. Yep. He was the only one that like had some kind of like legit straddle, like lined up straight to the basket and like did something. Yeah. Everyone else you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because it's also funny to watch. Um, you could see the difference between the 30 foot circle now and the 30 foot circle now yeah. or the 30 foot circle then versus the 30 foot now, which is 40, how much it's like lacking in his power where it's more lofty and trying to like hyzer it in there yeah. versus these other guys that are just like, just gunning Smashing it right. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I thought that was interesting and I like kind of forgot about that until I was watching him. It kind of brought me back to that era, yeah. but right before Paul, like one world and everything there was kind of that going on yeah um yeah and dave kind of bit bridged that gap too yeah dave went from like a loftier putt to more of a like gun yeah. it in the chains putt yeah yeah for sure yeah um i remember there's a tournament in california uh one of the early tournaments where paul's on it and you just see him making all his ridiculous putts too where it's just like oh that's like far and now it, you could go back and like this person's probably gonna run it but watching it then, it's like, wow, this is kind of fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Not that it's not ridiculous now. It's just you're more um, desensitized. Yeah, to it. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I was watching the old world, it's funny, like where they lay up from. Mm-hmm. He's like 35 out, and he's like, oh, he lays it up, yep. and everybody's like, yeah, smart move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now like, okay. it's yeah like, that that same area is 10 feet. You got to make it. Yeah, yeah. and you got to make it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So for worlds, if you're gonna take Paul, um. I don't know. I think Calvin has the temperament to win it because he's very consistent. Um, he doesn't get all riled up. The only thing that makes me nervous is him shitting the bed the last round at the tour championships and then him shitting the first round at the USDGC. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Worlds is a situation where you can afford to either be nervous the first round, which might have happened at USDGC, or kind of fall apart the last round, which might have been what happened at the tour championships mm-hmm. so i don't know in that way like i don't take those as a good sign um so i think like dickerson doesn't do that yeah like he might not shoot his best first round like he I, you know like i don't think he always shoots his best first round but it seems like he consistently gets better as the tournament goes on and that's kind of one of the things that like sneaky pizza him from third card to like second place um and i think he has the temperament to do it so I don't know. I guess I'm going to go with Dickerson. You can pick Paul if you want. No, I'm not going to. I don't, I don't think Paul's okay. going to win Worlds next I, year. I want to. I'm going to keep track of these. Well, they're going to be on on audio. I know, but just for me later. So I, ne- I need to take better notes after we do podcasts because yeah. I want to have like a rough draft description thing. Okay. So this is me trying to better us. Tight. Yeah. I'm so Diglo is first, right? Yep. And then. I had Heimberg. Yep. You had Calvin. I had Paul. Worlds. You have Paul. I have C. Dick. D. That's Paul. Calvin. (laughs) Calvinornia. He's his own state. Worlds. 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 
you have who again? Heinberg? Yep. No, for Worlds, I have yeah. Dickerson. Dickerson. Sorry. Yep. Dickerson. And I have Sir Paul. Yep. What's next? All right. If you could pick someone to win Worlds, just as like a make you feel good, who would yeah. it be? Who, oh, like, who world, would, like you You just get 2020 Worlds title. 2021. Like, 2021. You, like you just go out, they go out and win, and you're like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Who would that be? Mm. I mean, past self would say Nico. I, I mean, still Nico. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm going to give you a minute to think. I have to go to the bathroom. You have to. Okay. He's, he's got to pee, everybody. Welcome to intermission. And we're, we're talking back. About. Through, we were talking about if you uh, if you could just hand select someone to win worlds, yeah. just as like a feel good for you, who yeah. would it be? Um, after some deliberation, yeah, I have two choices. Okay, and I don't i I think I I know which one to pick, but Yuli, okay, and Michael Johansson, okay, and I think if I could just hand pick. If I had to pick one of those, I would pick Michael Johansson. Yeah. Because he just seems like an awesome guy. Yeah. And he's very good, obviously. I just want him. Yeah. I want him to win. He's one of Fred and mine's underdogs. Yeah. Who we just want to see win. Yeah. To like kind of watch the world burn. Um, Even though I don't think the world, like the world would burn in like sweet turtles and stuff if MJ won. Yeah. Uh, The other one is... Uh, Josh Anton. Yeah. I'd love to see him win too. Yeah. So those three, but MJ is probably like the number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, I would take on, uh, maybe MJ's protege. Mm-hmm. I would say James Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would be like super pumped and I think it'd be a great feel good story. And like, yeah, that guy deserves it. Yeah. If fucking Conrad could win worlds. Yeah. Yeah. But after MJ. Well, I think MJ is a great pick. Yeah. I think like I think MJ goes first and then J- JC. You hit the spirit of exactly what I was asking, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. But I also think like Yuli would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Just because we're both such huge Yuli fans. Yeah. And uh, and he can put it together, man. You know, like if he could manage to play his best golf, even though he can't bomb like those other guys, mm-hmm. he can throw far enough. He's yeah. a great putter when he's on. And I think if he could play like his best golf, he could bars be it and win worlds. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think so. And I would be, I would be losing my mind. Yeah. I mean, maybe I would like do the podcast be with so like happy. the Yuli logo <laughs> painted on my chest. <laughs> you know, I, I think like I would do that. We'd try to get him on the podcast. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. But I would feel like, I would feel awesome if Conrad could win. Cause I feel like he's been so good for so long. He plays such a specific old school style yeah like in 2020 he's decided like all right i guess i'm gonna have to learn a forehand yeah right after yeah. being like at the top <laughs> of the game for so long he's like fuck like these little fuckers are forcing me 
Yep. Like even Philo was talking about that during the live stream for the USDGC. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I've actually had to start to like figure out how to do it beforehand. Yeah. Because you just can't compete now without it. Because yeah. these guys are so good both ways. So I think if Conrad could do that. Because I think his days of, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many more years he has of being like really high-end competitive. Because mm-hmm. I think the sport's kind of like passing him by. Mm-hmm. Like his putting keeps him in it. And like. Yeah. But if he wants to further like ride this wave, he's going to have to get more sidearm action. Yeah. He's just going to have to develop yeah. in a way that he hasn't forced himself to develop before. Yeah. And I think his game is like really, really good. But he's also throwing harder shots than you're throwing a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Because where you can just throw a comfortable forehand or a flex forehand, he has to throw some really fucking weird turnover shot to make Yeah, it like happen. he probably heavily relies on Greeny. Yeah. Like if he were to lose it, it's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so he's probably got, I and, don't know. And his flippier wraith and like yeah. all those like, you know, discs that he Super, has. Super like yeah. neat, like niche discs yeah. that are very hard to find like yeah. the slice yes love the slice but if i need like relied on that heavily yeah man like seemingly hard disc to come by yeah and like <laughs> way harder shot you yeah. know what i mean that like oh, super yeah. touchy turnover like in the woods it's good mm-hmm. but when you get out to like open courses and all that where so like, like did i get enough on it did i get too much on it is it gonna hit and cut roll is it gonna right. stay slide this and that whatever yeah right yeah. Instead of just throwing a hyzer. Right. Yeah. Forehand hyzer. Yeah. So I think like the sport is is passing him by. I don't know his ability at this point in the game to develop a sweet forehand. Um, but I think like in a few years, you're not gonna be able to compete if you don't have a sweet forehand. So yeah. I would think this would be the year it'd be great to just like drop him in as champion and be like, What? Yeah. And have him be able to walk away with like such a legit legacy. Because he did he's like really done a lot, you know. Yeah. Cool. All right. After that, USDGC next year. Next year, USDGC. Hmm. I mean, I feel like I have to say KJ. Yeah. KJ USA. I'm a KJ fan. Even though he finished so poorly this year? He's going to come back and murder it. Okay. He's got the skill set. Yeah. He's just getting unlucky because he keeps throwing his red D2 everywhere, I think. Yeah. Like, I didn't see the coverage with him on it because, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. But I feel like he throws that disc a lot. Yeah. It's clearly flippy. Yeah. So I feel like he might have been, I don't know, injured and trying to do a lot because he fell on a couple tee pads before this event happened. And then I think a lot relies on luck versus how aggressive you're trying to get so the bites can be like really hard sometimes yeah i feel like that's probably what was going on i don't know but i'd love to see him win he's obviously like he's got the skill set for it i mean he his breakout couple of um rounds was usdgc a few years back i want to see him come back and win because yeah kj usa dgc champion 2021 yeah yeah I'm going with Ricky. Yeah. That yep. was that was one I was thinking of too. Yep. And then I was thinking of KJ. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go with Ricky because I feel like Tyler doesn't have, Tyler really wants. Um, I think his year this year bouncing back from last year was really good. And I think like he just looked really good. Mm-hmm. 
I think like physically he just looked really good. Um, you know, he hit a guy in the head. I mean, he really did some remarkable things this year. <laughs> so I think uh, what tournament was it that he hit? Someone I, forget, the, I forget. With that huge hyzer up over the trees, yeah, just smashed that guy. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, Sorry if you're listening, guy. Yeah. Whatever. He was fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then I just got lobotomized by Ricky today. Yeah, but it was Ricky, <laughs> two-time champ. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna go with Ricky. I think okay. that like it's the title that he really wants. I think he definitely has the skill set to do it. Yes. Um, he just like I think like after last year having a whole year this year, whatever. I also don't know. I think he signed a three-year contract with the Nova. I could be wrong. I don't know. But hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully he can do it. I'd be really happy for him to do it. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed I, th- it. I think he's a great candidate for it, and I'm yep. surprised he hasn't had more top finishes at USDGC or like mo- have had uh, that he hasn't been in contention of winning that one more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he has the skills to do it. Yes. Yeah. Especially when, I don't know, those fire putting turn. Like, I don't. He didn't win USDGC, obviously, the years that he won Worlds. Yeah. And, like, where he placed, I just I remember it not being even close to as good as I thought he was going to be, like, right there, if not winning, and then he just wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if that course works him or, or what. I don't know. I wonder what Varela's thoughts are when he's putting. Is it the same as Nico's? No. <laughs> what is it what do you think goes no because i think head? i think nico has an understanding i think what what's fucking nico up when he's getting ready to putt is he has so many different putts yeah so he's really trying to dial into like like what are like he's he's looking at it more in like a dechambeau kind of thought process on ball golf right like he's looking at way too many factors <laughs> way too many <laughs> options you know what i mean yeah. like He's going to a, instead of going to like a tool bag, like he's literally going to one of those like mechanic trunks. Yeah. He just has too many (laughs) options. He's got too many things, too many, he's thinking about too much and it overwhelms him and then he just kind of like blacks out. Uh, So I think like what Borella's doing is like, let's see how this goes. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to throw it at the basket and see where it goes. Where's the target right there? Okay. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Nope. Um, <laughs> that wasn't right. Yeah. Shit. No, neither was that one. Oh no. Not uh, again. This was doing this so one well has yesterday. to go. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think Nico, he's just, he's, he's got too many, too many options, too many variables that he's looking at. And then he just gets overwhelmed. Like, is it the spinny Annie, you know, like yeah. whatever pot or is it this pot or is it that pot? And then in a moment he's just paralyzed by too many options and then just throws it into the cage. Yeah. Where Brella's just like, <laughs> how do I do this again? <laughs> i aim it okay spin ah oh, fuck wait i threw it before i aimed shit yeah, i hope this doesn't embarrass huh. me oh god Here we go. i can't miss another oh jesus <laughs> god oh, anyways man. um yeah so then last but not least the uh tour championship mm. 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 Oh, God. I just, I thought of a fucking, I might have to retract my MJ one where you could just place, or at least just put one more good person in there. Okay. Girthy. Yeah. Girthy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want Girthy to win the championships. The tour championships? Yeah. Yeah. I want him to do it. I don't think it's really his style of course, though. Yeah, but I want him to do it. Yeah. Yeah, would be every time he wins, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think that that matches up well for his game. I know. But I want him to do it. Yeah. I'm going to say Ricky. You're going to say Ricky? Yeah. I'm going to say Ricky. For the tour championships? Yeah. I don't want to see Dickerson repeat, even though he wouldn't be repeating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he wouldn't right. be re- repeating a title. <laughs> yeah. Just not consecutively. No, I, I understand. Yeah. You see, because he won it not this year. Oh, <laughs> all right. I got it. So I think I think the. Uh, <laughs> what did you just talk? I don't know. I think like I would love to see Coling win, right? Because it's right there in his backyard and all that. I just don't think he's got the skill set to do it. Yeah. I don't think that like he would have to play like his best golf. Right in a row, which he could do. You mm-hmm. know, Oakley almost did it, right? Like, Oakley yeah. almost came from nowhere and played really well right in a row to do it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I would also, I mean, I would love to see Kevin repeat if he could. I don't see that happening. Um, shit. I don't know. Is it going to be 20 grand again? I don't know. Because if it's going to be twenty grand again, I think you're going to see a difference in people's approach throughout the year. Yeah, and especially with the structure that it is yep. being like the weird match play E type thing, yep. I think they're going to come up with a sweet game plan. Yeah, because I think like if it's twenty grand, you're going to have a lot of people like every week off they have going to Charlotte. Yeah, or w- whenever they can. Yeah, yeah. Like whenever they've got a chance, instead of going home, they're going to go to Charlotte for. You know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, so in that way, I would say Paul. I'm going to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, so it's the title he doesn't have. Yep. It's 20 grand. Yep. And uh, he was definitely not happy with how we did this year. He didn't play it last year. So I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't know how seriously he took it this year and, and whatever. I don't know what was going on, but he definitely... Um, you know, first time out in that format did not do well. Mm-hmm. So in his quest to win everything, I think like he's going to put in the time to win that next yeah. year. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it, it turning into one of the most prestigious titles, you know, and actually being worth the most amount of money. Like I could see him just like spending a lot of time there. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to know what blade of grass he wants to be on yeah. specifically. Yeah. He's going to be out there, like, definitely executing, like, some kind of meticulous game plan. Yeah. A la Worlds last year. Right. Like, he's going to have that all dialed in. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say, I would say Paul. So I'm going to bookend it with Paul. Okay. So Paul is who you want? I'm going to have Paul for, yes. Okay. The tour championship. Nice. Yep. And you're taking Ricky. Ricky. Okay, yeah. so we've committed to all those. Okay. Okay, so we will figure out later what the bet will be for the least amount of variance. Yeah. Hey, also, you guys, if you want to do this, yeah, do it. Put it in the comments. Let us know. Put in your four. Yeah. And uh, we, the winner of the person on the comments, we will give you some very nice merchandise. Yeah. Undisclosed at this point, but it will be. We'll figure it out. Very nice. Guaranteed. Um. What if 
someone gets hurt. Mm. Like what's a does not play? Because obviously they don't just get last place. What's a does not play? What if it was... What if we did a point system? So it's however many points. Well, it's one point per difference in finish. Whatever. So then that does not play. Well, we'll just have to see. Because maybe if one of our guys doesn't play for one tournament, mm-hmm. then the other guy has a guy that doesn't play for another tournament. I guess we'll have to figure it out when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just think you're just SOL. What are you going to do? Just eat shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we both pick we both pick Ricky late in the season. So if Ricky gets hurt halfway through, then like I'll get fucked at Worlds and you'll get fucked at Tour Championship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Besides that, we're pretty good. All right, whatever. We'll figure it out when it happens. Yeah, we'll see. It probably won't. All right. So I feel safe with Kevin because he tries to take himself out of the game he's and in. he just can't. He can't. He's, he's yeah. built like a Mack truck. <laughs> he's not a series of tubes. Yeah. All right. So the question board: Where do you see DG in five to seven years? Question mark. Future champions question mark nice okay so in in five to seven years um i see disc golf growing a lot exponentially from where it's at i think uh i don't know if you saw that stat on like current pdga i did and they had that big i did yeah yeah there was like this many peoples then there was this many peoples yeah yeah and that was after like Five to eight years. Yeah. So I'd imagine in five to eight years from this many people that it'll probably be bigger. Yes. Yeah. There's going to be more people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we figured out how graphs work. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the curve. So where do I see it in five to seven years? I see um, Discount in five to seven years being on a major network a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Like maybe Worlds, maybe the Tour Championships. I don't know. Yeah. Because this year we had ESPN2. Yeah, we had CBS yes. for the DDO, yep. and then we had uh, championships on ESPN two. Part of that's going to be COVID because other sports were kind of stamped down. Mm-hmm. But I would see in five to seven years, like just the popularity of disc golf growing. And yeah, I mean it was somebody. enough. Like I think, not that what's going on is right, but the right things happened for this to get on. At least it got on there. Yeah, so it's proven to happen. It's been like covered so the chance for the opportunity isn't like our foot's in the door yeah already so the other thing i see is um popularity of uh like disc golf on youtube so Mm -hmm. somebody can look at something from a network and they're looking for uh content to put on if they're looking at youtube channels they get like millions of views on something they'd be like oh well obviously there's a lot of people interested in this it's not like a sales pitch of like you need disc golf on your network, yeah. you know, and like, trust me, people are going to love it. You know, like, yeah. come on, guy, you see, that's what we're going to do. Um, I think like you can look at the stats and be like, oh, okay, well, cool. They put this tournament up on and like total for all the videos for all the days. They got like 8 million views. Yeah. Like that makes sense of something that people would obviously tune into. So I think as it continues to grow on individual channels and on individual like productions that it'll increase the desire to have it on network TV as you can like look at something and be like, okay, people want to watch this. Because some of the stuff, as it gets put on network, is just due to ease of execution and cost for production. Mm-hmm. So to film, post-produce, commentate, do all the stuff and put a finished product on ESPN for like the cornhole championships is like four camera guys. Right. Standing still. Yeah. Right. So like their overhead is really low. Yeah. So it's worth it. 
right? And then a lot of people, you know, play cornhole. How many people are willing to watch cornhole? I don't know. But their like cost, their cost yeah. into it is very low. Yeah. So, um, so in that way, like something like spike ball, same thing. So you have these really random things on the Ocho or whatever it is. And it, a lot yeah. of it, I think, just comes down to it's really easy to produce. Yeah. Yeah. You got two guys in a gymnasium with cameras. Stationary. Yeah, stationary and yeah. doing it. Where disc golf, like... You got a stationary. Yeah, you got a bunch of cameras, <laughs> and where the fuck are you going to get guys to carry the cameras around and do all that stuff? And like, it's a bigger production yeah, thing. Yeah, even and even if they were all stationary, you need eighteen of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I would see it being on regular, like sports programming in five to seven years, at least a couple of times a year. Um, hopefully, you know, it generates some kind of. Um, interest or push in terms of it being like a collegiate thing like i've talked about on the podcast plenty of times like in five to seven years i would like to see a very active you know kind of what it is now but like more widespread like collegiate competition Mm -hmm. right like most colleges because it's it's cheap for people to put it together but it's basically just like an inner inner uh collegiate intramural thing at this point because it's not regulated by the ncaa or anything like that so in five to seven years, I would love to see it be like a booming competition collegiately mm-hmm. and being on its way to becoming like an actual, you know, certified, governed NCAA competition. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think it'll actually be there in five to seven years. But hopefully right. it's getting close. Yeah, me too. I mean I I fall under the same umbrella entirely. Yeah. Like that's I, I think a lot of people in the disc golf community want to see it. Yeah. There. Um obviously sooner the better. Great. Five to seven years, probably unlikely. But in the gro- the growth of everything so far, where it's getting to and how many milestones we've set for ourselves, like just getting onto T V or even just uh like highlight reels, like just getting that little acknowledgement, at least there's something. Like even if it's just kind of being poked fun at it's at least serious enough that you're entertaining the idea of like something sweet just happened and it's on sports center, like yeah. number 10. Fine. We're still 10 yeah. <laughs> on there. Um, and then just kind of where it's going now and the people that I interact with now, uh, all seem to just always love the sport and then are just more, uh, more than not, they're wanting to push themselves to, be competitors at like the highest level that they can be the best, uh, the best themselves they can be in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with all that going on, it's just kind of, I don't know, the best case scenario for success to happen. So like the only way it doesn't happen is just we're stuck to be like a knockoff golf game kind of thing instead of its own actual thing. That's legit. Yeah. Yeah, and in the five to seven years we had talked about before, um, specifically with the way that this year went and the idea of bringing TV into it and all that, I would see more on the seven-year side, but definitely uh, after five years, I would look at um, having a handful of people, both male and female, uh, making six figures Mm -hmm. in prize money and stuff like that. Definitely in terms of sponsorship and prize money. I would think you'd have 10 people on the men's side making over $100,000 a year from disc golf revenue, mm-hmm. either tournaments or sponsorships or whatever. I would think in five to seven years, hopefully that would be a reality. Yeah. Hopefully that's it. That's what I would see. So yeah. that would be kind of my idea. Future champions. Um, I would say in five to seven years, uh, 
pretty much everybody that's won a Worlds is going to be slightly irrelevant in five to seven years. Mm-hmm. So if you've already won Worlds at this point, you're probably going to be on the outskirts. Yeah. And I would see the the field coming up behind you as becoming dominant. Mm-hmm. Right. So like Dickerson, um, you know, Gilbert, Eagle, um, Calvin, Kyle Klein, you know, even Ezra and who knows and probably a bunch of people that we don't know. But I would say like you're, you know, early to mid 20s at this point, mm-hmm. late teens, like that group of people, because you're going to have kind of the the process of progress with the sport coming true of like people who have been playing with really good form and really good understanding of what it takes after watching these guys who are now champions, watching them their whole lives and imitating and learning from and doing all that. And now having like that much time into the sport, then coming of age, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like Kyle Klein is the next in a line of people coming, you know what I mean? Like Calvin's early twenties and you know, Brella's young and he'll learn to putt. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're just going to have like kind of a, a shit storm of people coming into the sport that are like really good forehand, backhand, putting, upshots, all that stuff. And they understand the dynamics of, of the sport. Yeah. And it's probably just going to become more of a mental game than anything. And then who's got the slightly better skill set and can capitalize on it versus like Conrad versus Eagle. Yeah. Like their backhands are similar-esque, but their sidearms are hugely different. Yep. So the skill set is just heavily in favor of Eagle winning whatever over Conrad. Like Conrad's got to throw the harder shots and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're going to have a bunch of, you know, and who knows what's coming out of Europe. I don't follow European disc golf too closely. You know, I know that there's Seppo and, you know, Tam and the handful of guys from there that are really good. But yeah. who knows what's coming up behind them? I know the sport is uh, very, very popular in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And so you might have some guys pop up out of there and have like another yeah. European or two come in that are super sweet. Yeah. Which or would... more, probably like a handful. Yeah. Like I know I see on Instagram all the time, how many people over in Europe are playing, like did it just pop up and are just playing rounds and doing this and that and the other thing. And then being in a culture where it is like professionalized and people respect it versus like, Oh, you're just some stoner people, at least yeah. from the, stories that i hear like it's when you go over there and you're a professional disc golfer you're treated as a professional disc golfer not just like oh you just go and play even though you wouldn't win it like i think that's sweet yeah. so that now they're in the mindset of like there's not this weird stigma that they have to deal with and then it's booming and then maybe striving to come over here like play over there when we can and then go and play worlds and travel and do all that cool stuff to like yeah, I can take down those Americans. Yeah. Like, I can do what they do. I thought it was crazy when I watched the uh, European Championships a few years ago, and they were sponsored by, like, Ford. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I was like, we get, like, keen. You know what I mean? Like, we have yeah. these, like, whatever. And then they had, like, streamers everywhere, you know, like, the big flag banners and stuff, feather banners, whatever they're called. Yeah. Uh, down the fairway, and it was, like, Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I thought that was the level. Yeah, the level that you see, like, I, thir- I would love to go to Europe and play. But just being able to watch and see, like, how much is put into it and how professional it looks there on the course because of all the little things like that that they do, I mean, it proves how awesome a place can just be and how how much of that takes effect yeah. into the care that you give for the sport. 
So that's why I like, I like going to courses and it's taken care of. And it could just be like some shitty little putt-putt course. But it's twice as awesome because it's like well-maintained. So seeing stuff like that over there, I'd love to see more over here. Yeah. Like unanimously, just that little extra whatever. Even if it just streamers and big flags and whatever, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome to see. Cool. What do you do when you cannot poop before a round? So... I, this was probably put up because I have known issues. Uh, I've had <laughs> known issues. Um, so it was you, also Phil. Yeah. Because Phil and I have a heritage yeah. of issues. shitting before the round. <laughs> yeah. So a couple years ago, I had an issue where like every tournament as I was warming up, all of a sudden it's like 20 minutes before tee off and I had to take a shit. Yeah. So there's always the question, do I just try to fight through or do I go and whatever? And it was, yeah. it was like legitimately an issue. Um, and then I talked to uh, Brian Frowley, and he told me what he does is he gets up really early, eats, drinks a cup of coffee, and then every time goes to the bathroom before he goes to the course. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, that works for sure. So spending the time in the morning to get like some coffee on board or at least get yep. some food on board to get the system going will kind of guarantee. Yeah, I did a little research. I pulled up an article, and it was basically just that. And yeah. it was a runner's article because marathon runners – yeah, They like to travel light, and if you have to stop your thing that you're doing to try to win this thing to go to the bathroom, yeah. it's not ideal. You're not going to win. Yeah, so they get up early. They eat like, their nutrition, whatever, and then drink a big cup of like black coffee. Yeah. And then you just be patient, whatever. And yeah. then you just, yeah. everything comes loose and you're good. Yeah, I don't think you even have to yeah. be that patient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so other than that, one of the things that I... Uh, found out in in terms of like trying to deal with that is that I'm lactose intolerant mm-hmm. and I didn't know it before um, and I don't know if I was before but definitely like part of the issue I was having in the morning was because I'd eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's every night before I went to bed yeah so then in the morning like I was just getting up earlier for the tournament so like the stomach issues I was dealing with on tournament day I was probably dealing with other days but I was still just asleep okay so then because instead of getting up at like eight I was getting up at six like now my stomach's in this weird spot um, but a lot of it was because of how much dairy I was consuming. Mm-hmm. So once I cut out the dairy, it really kind of fixed itself. Yeah. Like it was re- like, that was the big thing of like, okay. And that's really what like, so I just started like changing variables, which is what I do. Like I'll keep everything the same and then change one variable at a time until I'm like, oh, that's what it is. And it turned out, which wasn't real difficult to solve, but dairy was a huge problem. Yeah. So when I cut out the ice cream, um, at night, the amount of problems I had in the morning were like much less. And then I definitely, like, if I get up um, a little bit early and, like, right when I get up, like, take a protein bar or something like that and then pack up my car, get all my stuff together, get whatever, then usually, like, right as I'm ready to leave to go out the door, I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Instead of being at the course, like, getting ready to tee off and I have to go to the bathroom. Yep. So this year I had zero problems. Nice. Last year I had a couple. Phil and I shared a problem, which is where the question comes from. But, yeah, in terms of... Do we talk about that on the podcast? I don't think so. Do you so. want to tell the story? No. Okay. Do you, do you have a story that you want to tell about? Because I have a story or two. Well, the well, okay. Yeah. So I sharded really badly at <laughs> Indy um, warming up right before tee off. Yeah. So I had to, it was cold outside. It was last fall. Okay. Uh, end, of the winter, end of the summer, fall time. And so I had all these clothes on. I had to like go to the porta potty, take my boots off, under armor, everything off, throw my underwear into the porta potty clean up, put my under armor on, back on, whatever, and then play the round. It was very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, 
So that was that. The the other one that I had Wait. Was, was when I you cleaned your underwear and put them back on? No, I threw them out. Okay. I threw them into. The, I had to clean I just, me I, up. Yeah, no. like my brain just processed that slowly, and no. I was like, "No, what? I just gunned them into the porta potty." Um, the, Sorry. The other one that I had, which was really funny, uh, Mr. Alfano, mm-hmm. um, had been a part of this because I'd always like end up playing on cards with them, and I'd be like, "Dude, I'm just suffering. Like I should have shit before the round." But we were at Frankenmuth playing a tournament. And I had had this like hex of like really bad first rounds. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why, but all year, like this is a few years ago. Like my first rounds were bad. I don't know why. Yeah, I remember um, this. Yeah, and then finally, like we got to uh, Frankenmuth, and I was like, I'm just gonna shit. Like I, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna hold it. And then I shit. And then I had like a sweet first round. <laughs> and I remember just being like, Yes, this is it. Um, Did you flash back to all your bad first rounds? And you're like, Dude, I had to poo every time. No, it was. Okay. It, I don't know what it was, but. I just broke through it. Like I got really, that was weird because that year I got really bad nerves, which I had never gotten before and I've never gotten since. But that year, like at the start of the tournament, first round, I would just get super nervous. Yeah. And then it would take me like 10 holes to work out of it. And by that point I was already like halfway into the, into the shitter. But for some reason, like it shook my nerves and I was really confident after I was like, yeah, I went to the bathroom. I'm ready to go. And I told Ty like, we're getting her tea off. I was like, I went to the bathroom before today. And then I played like, really well and shot well and then second round i kind of shot shitty but like because i just didn't care i was just so happy that i finally shot a good first round second round i was like fuck it i already did well (laughs) i don't know it was pretty funny but i really like where was that at frankenmuth frank that's right yeah yeah. i think it was four down first round and i was like tied for first and then second round like i literally i don't know i think i finished like third but it really just like again is when i was playing am i really didn't care yeah and i was just like when i was just so happy that i threw a good first round like second round i was like going for everything and like running every putt and yeah just to just to do it you know because i was like i finally broke the curse and then i didn't have problems with it the rest of the year nice but yeah so that's what were, good what was your your uh uh so there's two stories um they'll all be nameless but one of them involved dairy and like a pizza sized piece of cook or a piece of cookie it was just a pizza cookie yeah yeah and all i remember is they had a gallon of chocolate milk this giant chocolate chip cookie and a need to just have all of it yeah so they had all of the cookie or at least a high percentage of it and then all of the chocolate milk yeah and then <laughs> on the drive home needed to go yeah and I th- I think, yeah, he was driving with others. Somebody else was driving. He had to go. They couldn't, like, hey, I got to go. And then from that time to, like, it's just happening was not enough time. Right. So they made a pit stop at, I think, like, the toll, like the plaza areas or whatever on toll roads. And he was able to, like, get somewhere and, like, kind of hose off. And then they needed to get him a Snuggie. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, like. I'm sorry if if he's li- listening to this. He could probably fix the story because I haven't heard it from him directly. Yeah, it's always been, it's been the same story every time from the people that I've heard it. Yeah, and it's just as gross every time. They had to write home in a snuggie. Yeah, he had to write home in a snuggie after shitting himself. Yeah, and other people had to be around it too yeah. in a vehicle. In a vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> That might have been a Prius. <laughs> yeah. Then you can appreciate like how much water does to su- to suppress the smell. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. it's just out in the open. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a story about that. Yeah. I heard. Um. Anyway, then there was another one where there's like the running joke kind of of 
never picking up a towel in the woods. Yeah. Because sometimes you're playing in a round and you have to shit. Yeah. And you can not do anything about it. Not even like, nope, we're holding you here, bud. It's like, it's just going to happen. Thankfully, I haven't had those yeah. um, ever. But somebody did. And they needed to go and they went to, to they didn't have toilet paper on them because, I mean, I don't typically. Nobody does. But I do have towels. Yeah. Not the sweet ones like we do, but like the right. shitty ones. Right. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he took one of those with him and he didn't like bury it. He just kind of like tossed it out because he was like way in the woods. And then, um, well, I guess he wasn't way in the woods because somebody, I think he had to go. He, no, I think he threw his disc around where this guy had pooed so i think he really shanked it yeah i mean i hope found it and then was like oh hey a towel grabs it and it's like kind of like fallish there's stuff on the ground so the microfiber you just snap it off well not just leaves and stuff came off of this one yeah. <laughs> so he got spackled with it and it was probably not a good time he was probably yeah. pretty angry about it um so yeah, I I personally haven't had any of these. Yeah, I don't touch myself, especially with COVID. I don't touch towels. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even since even then, without, and this was yeah. before COVID. Yeah. Um, I didn't touch towels. Yeah, what are you really <laughs> winning? You're not really winning anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, how sweet could that towel be? I yeah. Guess? Like I've uh I've gone to Amnats and taken like the found towels because there's just like a because I didn't have towels at the time, like not a lot, and. uh I asked John, I was like, hey, is it cool if I just take, because nobody's claiming them, obviously, and they're just a gross pile of towels. I'm just going to wash them and use them for myself. He's like, yeah, I have at it. So yeah. I did that like twice at like two mounds of towels. I still have most of them just because I don't lose the monsters anymore Yeah, because they're really hard to lose. And I don't want to because they're expensive and all that. Yeah. Uh, the other ones, if I left... They were easy to lose, leave, whatever. And then it was just like, fuck it. I have like a thousand more at home. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But I they don't get used for disc golf at all anymore. No. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just sitting there useless. Yeah. Any of those, I was thinking like, about bringing them to Amnats and putting them back on the table. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody found this towel from four years ago. Wow. All right. Disc golf pro tour payouts and how they make worlds and USDGC look bad. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't think that they make worlds in USDGC look bad. Mm -hmm. I would I would start by saying that. Um, so the US, you're just talking about Pro Tour in general or the championship? I think they were talking about the championship payout yeah. tournament versus worlds and USDGC. Yep. That being that the Pro Tour is a bigger sum of money. Yep. So I would see that as being correct yes. because it's harder to qualify for the Pro Tour championship than it is for Worlds or the USDGC. Okay. Hear me out because um, you can go to one tournament and qualify for USDGC. You can play a bunch of tournaments locally and qualify for Worlds. Mm -hmm. If you're that... Weekend warrior that drives 50 miles on Friday to find some weird fucking thing that you can play and then plays every Saturday one place and every Sunday another place and does all that stuff and whatever. You can slowly hack out enough points and qualify for Worlds mm -hmm. if you want to. Yeah. And you could be 870 rated and play Pro Worlds, right? And like you qualified, you made it, you registered on time, you got in, you're at Pro Worlds. USDGC is harder than that because you have to play so high 
in an event, but you could realistically get in your car, drive to a tournament, play that tournament, and qualify for USDGC. Okay. The Pro Tour, you have to be the top however many guys in points throughout the whole tour to qualify. So I look at that as being like a sustained um, effort throughout the entire season in order to be able to qualify for that at a high level on really hard courses all year and do that stuff to do it. So I look at that as that's not just a single tournament, but you qualified for that through a whole bunch of tournaments throughout the year. They're mm-hmm. also collecting money to put towards that pot throughout the entire year. Worlds, they're collecting that money at Worlds. USDGC, they're collecting that money at USDGC, either through sponsorship or entry fees. But the Pro Tour payouts, they're kind of collecting money and putting money towards that the whole time. Um, so it would make sense to me that that payout is the highest, whether it is the most prestigious um, title or not. I don't think that those two things coordinate with each other of the most prestigious title being worth the most amount of money. I don't think okay. that that's equal. I don't think that that's, that's what I was going to ask too is you have three people Yep, that one had like Eagle has um, USDGC title. Paul has world championship title and then KJ has disc golf pro tour title. Who's got the most prestigious title aside from money made from that tournament? Yeah. I don't know. Does it change over time? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would hope that the world's was the most prestigious one. Like, Yeah, it really just depends on... Like, for me, I really like the format for all three of those. Mm-hmm. I, re- I really like them. And they're all a completely different test, mm-hmm. right? Because the USDGC, you're going to go play Winthrop Gold. Yeah. But you don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. Till it's time. Yeah. Like you basically. You, yeah. You yeah. basically know the course. You can go out and play it throughout the year. You know where it's going to be. You know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you don't know exactly how that course is going to play till you get to it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a bomber and you get out there and everything plays hazard, sweet. Good for you. Because mm-hmm. you can just rip it out there. And if you don't quite make it inbounds, like you can just play it from there and probably still get your birdie or get your par, whatever it is. Yeah. And if you're not super accurate and you go out there and that's year they play everything stroke and distance, you're totally mm-hmm. fucked. So I like that the USDGC every year is a little bit of a different challenge. It's set up differently. It's going to score differently. It's going to do all that stuff. Um, and it's hard to qualify for. Mm-hmm. And it's like a capped field. You know what I mean? Like I, I like that setup. I like that challenge. I think it makes for a very prestigious um, title that people care a lot about that has been a staple in the sport for a long time. Yeah. Um, the downside of it is Anova's in charge of it. Mm-hmm. And Anova makes whatever fucking decisions that they make and do whatever it is that they're going to do. But it's their tournament. So with that, you're stuck. So yeah. my belief system in Anova to manage things effectively and to be on the pulse of what people want in disc golf is limited. Yeah. I can, like, it's, I'm no, like, I'm not shy about it. So the limiting factor of the continued prestige of that title is held by Anova, mm-hmm. right? Like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. That title is only as strong as its only sponsor. Yeah. Or not its only sponsor, but its name sponsor, mm-hmm. right? Innova. So the prestige of the USDGC, I would look at, is as high as it's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. Are the other titles going to pass it? I don't know. Over a long enough time period, it's the oldest. Well, the world's, right, is the oldest title. Yeah. Um, but USDGC came in. They took the prestige of the Worlds away from Worlds. And USDGC, this is the premier event. 
But have they done enough to continuously push the envelope to keep it as the most prestigious event? Mm. I don't think so. Yeah. And I can count on them to fucking blow it. Yeah. Because they're a Nova. Yeah. Champion, champion discs or whatever they are. Yeah. Um, champion stuff. So do I believe that USDGC is going to maintain being the most prestigious? No. I don't think so either. Do I think that Worlds is going to take it over? I don't know. It's going to depend on how the tour goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, does the pro tour kind of become more of a world tour? I don't know. Does the tour itself become more global? Like, how does worlds factor in? Right. And how does all that stuff go? I think in order to make worlds more prestigious and to put it at the top of the of the pyramid, you have to change the way that you qualify. Mm-hmm. You have to change how you qualify and what the order is that people get to register. You know, you have to really do like a tiered registration system. Yeah. The thing that fucks up worlds is that as long as you get enough points, you can qualify and you can sign up for it. Yeah. It kills the prestige of it. Yeah. Because for sure, it, to me, uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour, like the championships, is just hands down the most prestigious. I would like worlds to me make sense that that would be the most prestigious. But with just, I mean, I, with everything that you say, and how hard it is just to get into whatever. It just only makes sense that yeah. the Pro Tour Championships is number one yeah. by like a long shot. Yeah, because if you look at ball golf, it's the same thing. Yeah. U.S. Open, <clears throat> super prestigious, mm-hmm. right? The the Open, right, which is in Europe, mm-hmm. super prestigious, right? It's the oldest trophy. Yeah. You get that little cup that's been around for 150 years or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and... and the Masters, a tradition unlike any other. And you go and you play in this super racist club and, you know, you win a green jacket. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. And you, and you win, you know, at this like really old school, blue blood, good old boys country club, you yeah. know, and you win the Masters. And it's super prestigious because they've thrown a lot of money at it for a really long time. And, you know, whatever. They made it that. Wait, but, is that why it's called the Masters? I don't know, but it could okay. be. I don't want to get okay. into it, but it could be. Okay. Um, Anyways. But then the Tour Championship is $20 million. Yeah. And it is the one, right? Yeah. Because you literally beat everyone else's earnings for the year in that one day when mm-hmm. you walk out with the FedEx Cup for $20 million. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I think in terms of then it going to like disc golf, the fact that the Tour Championship is the biggest money makes sense because you're adding money to it throughout the entire tour. It's also going to be the one that's going to sign the biggest uh, media contract moving forward would be the pro tour, right? Like the USDGC, they're not going to get a huge media contract for that one tournament. They might, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But like in terms of like actual, when the sport gets really big, the pro tour is going to be kind of like the bigger media coverage. Cause you're gonna be able to cover multiple events, whatever. Um, but how it becomes a global, like in order to make worlds the most prestigious, you would have to have, more of a global tour right which maybe we'll move towards at some point Mm -hmm. um and then have it be way more difficult to qualify for or have it in way more of a tiered system for registration yeah so like registration day one is like thousand rated and over Mm -hmm. and then everybody has like three weeks at a thousand rated and over to sign up and then tier two is to like 990 yeah you know what i mean and then like really there's no way that anyone under 970 is ever going to actually register or be able to play in the right and even still it's going to be first come first serve but that's if there's even enough spots given all the other people that's what i'm saying like it'll fill before it gets to 970 gotcha because even if you know whatever but um 
Yeah, and then how do you get the money to Worlds? I don't know. Because, again, you get into sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So, like, our European, like, where is it going to be broadcast? Like, where you know what I mean? Like, what is it going to be? And, who, like, how do you get the sponsorship dollars in there? Because if it's, you know, I don't know. It, it just, it's, to me, it's the most difficult logistic logistically to make into the biggest deal. Mm-hmm. So I think Worlds will always kind of lag in third out of those three, unless I know it totally just shits the bed. Remember when they just wanted one division? Yeah. Remember that? What year was that? Where they didn't they didn't really do know. like a purse, remember? Yeah. They tried to like chintz it out. It was something weird. Yeah. I vaguely remember. Yeah, I remember when I learned about that, I was like outraged. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Anova, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't remember. I'm sure Fred would know. Yeah, I whatever. I looked it up before. But Either um way. yeah, they just didn't they just weren't gonna put the money in. And they were gonna have it be like one division, like you played with like a handicap. Yeah. Remember? It was something weird. Something fucking weird. Yeah. So they've already tried to fuck it up. Um, and how it goes moving forward, I don't know. I just my belief system in them is low. So I would think yeah. like starting next year after a twenty thousand dollar payout and it being on, you know, whatever it's gonna be on ESPN two, like yeah, that's gonna Yeah, and I think just with worlds, you're kind of not that it's an easy thing to run worlds. I'm sure it's not, because I'm it's not just you doing it, but if you're the tournament director, so you're responsible for everything yeah. whether you like it or not um i think the look and prestige and everything comes from what they have going on if that makes sense yeah so like one guy could just absolutely kill it because he runs the best events in iowa or utah or whatever and then another dude in ohio because they decide to have worlds in ohio just phones it in but like gets by and does it all right so yeah. you have one world where it's like this looks like the most prestigious thing and then the other is like is this just like a c tier like what's going on why is there a crack house on this course like yeah <laughs> um i don't know i don't know pdga's level of in- involvement in that or say or maybe some people are trying to kill it and they're like you're killing it too much we're just gonna dial it back or what i don't i don't yeah. know it was 2011 was it? Yeah. Does it say specifically what they were trying to do? Is there a thing to read? There's there's stuff to read. Okay. But uh, is it a lot? So for a variety of reasons, including sponsorship money, they tried a new format. It flopped spectacularly, and the format returned to normal in 2012. So who won in 2011? I, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't think that it was like a legit thing. I think they tried to play with a handicap. So 2011, you think there's just no winner, it, like there's yeah. no. It was world open change. to everybody. It wasn't like there wasn't like a pro division. Okay. It was like a whole thing, so everybody played, and you basically played with like some kind of handicap. Mm. So I would get like four strokes. Yeah. So it's not like I don't think it ended up even being like a PDGA sanctioned event. Interesting. It was like its own thing because they didn't. If want you guys know about this, comment please. Yeah. So yeah. I think that they didn't want to put prize money up. Yeah. And then they just tried to make it into like a everybody I'm gonna, I'm gonna can give play. Myself a note everybody quick. can play event. Yeah, so 2011. So Shoestrick won in 2010 and Shoestrick won in 2012. Yeah. In 2011 they just did something. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, they tried <laughs> something. Yeah. Um that's funny. So I forgot. 
Yeah, <laughs> I remember that because I remember just being like, "Yeah, Nova, way to go." Yeah, nice. Yeah, you got nice the best one, thing going in disc golf, and then you're like, "You know what? We could be able to do this without having to pay any money." Ah, uh, no. So <laughs> next out, next nah. year's a ten year anniversary. Maybe they'll try it again. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, and remember, they'll try something new entirely new and exciting yeah maybe they'll put all the money in instead and pay out all of it to the players i don't think so uh <laughs> after years of competition and play how do you keep it fun so this is the trick right mm-hmm. this is the real this is the real trick to the whole thing um so i've been playing for a long time you've been playing for a long time mm-hmm. and for me um it it's it's Disc golf brings something to my life other than winning. Yeah. And disc golf brings something other to, to my life other than competition. Yep. Right? Like it brings like a balance to my life. It's what I do to kind of balance me out. I've been sober for a long time and all of my normal coping, my unhealthy coping mechanisms <laughs> that I had, I had to cut out and then disc golf really like filled that void for me. Um, I'm constantly working on getting better. I'm constantly striving on becoming like the best that I can be with what I have available, my body. Because mm-hmm. um, I can't use your body. Yeah. Everybody. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I try to keep in mind while I'm doing it that I'm just trying to be as good as I can be. And each round, I keep in mind the idea that like I can go out and underperform. Mm-hmm. Not because I wasn't prepared properly, not because of whatever, but you're just going to have off days. Um, not that they're not frustrating. Like this year, I had a really frustrating round at Addison. Um, and it's going to happen from time to time. But as a greater rule, when I'm playing, I'm very aware that I'm out there for my own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And I'm out there for like a life enhancement. I didn't pay money. I didn't devote all this time to practice. I didn't devote all this time to like developing to go out and spend three or four hours a week tearing myself down and getting mad at myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I also try to keep everything in perspective in terms of, I look at disc golf as like a board with a bunch of pegs on it and each skill set, whatever it is, is a peg that I'm trying to move forward. And I do understand that like, as I move one peg forward, inevitably another peg is going to fall back Mm -hmm. because I just don't have enough time in my life to practice all of those things all the time to go to the tournament, to make sure that like all of them got the attention they need Mm -hmm. to move forward. So there's going to be something that like I'm lacking. It's, uh, I think having a realistic expectation and a realistic understanding of what it is that I'm trying to do and what it is I think I'm capable of doing when I go out there and then working to address the things that I'm unhappy with and um, and going on from there. Now, if I was consistently going out, consistently underperforming according to my own expectations and consistently like backsliding on the skill sets that I thought that I had achieved... I could see how that could become very frustrating and it'd be difficult to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, I don't know, you really have to like sit down and figure out a way to just change your interaction with it and be like, this is where I'm at and try to improve from the week before on one thing at a time and just take the enjoyment on that, on that one thing. Yeah. I think the hardest one to overcome is putting. I think when you go out and every week you feel like, everything's falling apart because you just can't make the pots. Then the next week when you go out to pre- when you go out to play, you just have more pressure on your pots than you had the week before. And then it's, an, it can be like a downward spiral. Uh, and it's hard to have fun when you're consistently throwing away what you think are birdies or eagles because you just can't make a fucking pot from 15 feet. Yeah. 
So in that way, I don't just have to reprogram and start from scratch with your pot and then just be like, all right, this week I'm going to, you know, work on this and try to transfer it to the tournament. Yeah. But I think it's key in your mindset of going out of like, if I can put everything together and win, that would be sweet. Mm-hmm. If I can't, like you still have to figure out a way to like enjoy yourself when you're out there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it just comes down to like what your expectations are going in and what you are realistically looking at doing by executing and what executing means to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of us get caught in the trap of what I call firefighter syndrome, but it can be whatever course you're super familiar on. When you're competing on courses that you're really familiar on, you've been playing for a long time, it can really fuck up your ability to have a good time because you're just comparing every shot you throw to the best shot you've ever thrown on that hole. Yeah. And then, or you can at least get stuck there. Right. Like, and then every shot you throw is shitty. Mm-hmm. Even though if it was a course you had never played before, if you threw that same shot, you'd be like, cool, that's good because mm-hmm. now I'm 35 feet out. Now you're just thinking like, I should be eight feet out. Yeah. How come I'm 35 feet out? Yeah. And it, like that is a hard thing to break. So I think it's easier... It's easier at some level to like go out and just have fun when you're playing courses that you don't know as well because mm-hmm. your like self expectation is a little bit lower. Yeah, and you have no gauge off because you've not played right. the course. Like, before. what does that even mean? I yeah. shot, I shot a, like like when we, whenever we played whatever rounds like when we played hunts in the rain. Yeah, and I was like, I shot a sixty three. Like, is that, is that is good? That good? Did yeah. I break legitimately? It? Like, yeah, like, yeah. What does that even mean? Yeah, and I think it's easier to have fun with that than like every fucking hole, every disc you throw. You're just thinking about like where it should have been, where it could have been, where it used mm-hmm. to be, all that, like that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I know that I have been, I've succumbed to the, I'm not having fun, so I quit disc golf. And that's why, because I used to have all the fun doing it. And it was like a childlike thing of just like, I just enjoy throwing discs. And like, I'll throw mine, I'll throw yours, I'll throw whoever's, just to see what it does. And just, I wanted to throw and then I ended up quitting because I wasn't, I don't I was just super burnt out. I wasn't where I was like a few weeks prior to it, or maybe for the whole year, I wasn't where I was the season before, but a lot of it came down to like, I was practicing less. So my skill set was declining so that I could still shoot how I was shooting before, but it, if I had a 50% chance of doing that before or more, then it was 10% less. So yeah. it only kind of made sense. Then it just got like, it wore me out more and I got more more and more pissed. So me shooting that was then less and less likely to happen. Yeah. And then it was just like, I don't even know what the fuck's going on. And I don't want to like go throw discs. I don't want to touch discs. I don't, because before it was like, I'll always have one with me. Like if I'm walking in the store or just walking around the house or yeah. laying in bed, watching disc golf, I'm fucking with a disc um like i wasn't doing that before right like in that period of time like i was before that and then it got to like i'm just not wanting to be in any part of this um so i like quit for the rest of the season um got dropped from west side because i wasn't playing obviously and i wasn't surprised when it was like yeah you're not on the team it's like yeah i know <laughs> thanks <laughs> I, I got this yeah. i'm sorry um really hard to communicate that with I don't know. It was a really weird interaction anyways. Um, but now it's, I just, I try to just have fun and I've, I've gotten past that hurdle of like, when I go and play for the most part, I feel like I have a really good grasp at everything. Like I've been saying, when we do recaps of coming back after tournaments, like 
I'm practicing more now. There's more to be done. It's just now it's off season time. So now there can be reps done in the basement. That was one thing that I did this week and was get my basement set up for like driving and all that, like have a good space set up, have a thing to throw into. I have um, a space where I'm going to put my computer for like all the vinyl stuff, but also I can take that footage and see it like on a big screen and break it down um, and just get those in. Because if you're not, you have to be honest with yourself on the course. If you're playing bad, well, is it because you're actually having an off day or you're just like rolling the dice because you're not practicing enough? So you just get the day that is off that's more likely to happen because you're not taking the time to practice, which is what I feel that I see in a lot of people where they're frustrated at this and that and the other thing. But when it comes to like, I'll see them out on the course and then they're just like kind of doing whatever instead of actually practicing and i'm not like focusing on one guy like there's legitimately multiple people that it's they're heavily tempered when things don't go their way and then seeing them practice in the way that they practice it just sets them up for that to happen like yeah it's like two plus two just is four yep and it's crazy to think that it would be anything else um but they're like trying to make it equal fish or something where it's never just going to happen. Um, and that was something that I had to like, that was part of why I quit was that realization of like, I'm just not doing this. And now this makes sense. And that's kind of what put me back into like, well, I know I can get back there and I'm doing all this and I'm not practicing half as much as I was before. So now if I was really to practice, then what could I be doing? Um, yeah. And I played, uh, Stony when I played the Stony open, I was on the, card with Bauman first round mm-hmm. and uh we were specifically talking about noah morehouse yeah and uh and that dude plays all the time like yeah. he's playing right now yeah <laughs> uh yeah. and and jeff was just saying like you know one of the truths in disc golf is whoever plays the most wins mm-hmm. like in the end when you get all the way up there like it's the dude that's playing and working all the time that mm-hmm. when it comes time for the weekend all those things are comfortable and fresh and they're on it and they're going to go out and win Yep. You know, familiarity with the course, familiarity with their forehand, their backhand, their upshots, like all that stuff. Like if you're out playing all the time and you're playing in a actual structured way, you're not just out throwing Frisbees around, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's going to pay off when you're playing tournaments. And I think that that really is, uh, you know, showcased by Noah this year because Noah did yeah. really well at multiple tournaments and shot a few tournaments of like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, and that dude just plays every fucking day yeah and so it pays off you know like having all those rounds and all those situations all those shots all whatever you have a lot more to draw from in near recent memory of success so you're drawing from that pool of like oh i just did this on thursday oh i can do this shot oh i you know and like and and it coming through um yeah it's hard to perform at a high level when you're not as familiar with what you're doing and you're just counting on like well i used to be able to do that and then going out and doing it Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to do it as much or as often or as consistently as you would had you been like putting in the work right because i think for me at least i don't know how it translates to others but trying fun lines like when you're playing casual rounds see something just different and just try it because if it like worst case scenario it doesn't work out you hit a tree where like you lose a disc yeah like realistically it's just a disc. It's whatever. I'm sure you can replace it if you're a diehard. It sucks losing it. Yeah. 
but throw something fun because it's fun but also it could just open up something entirely new for you maybe down the road yeah because i think that's maybe not that conrad doesn't have fun on the course but he doesn't try sidearms just for the hell of it just to try to work and develop it because maybe if he did that more on the course maybe he would have more shot selection when yep. it comes to whichever um i don't know or maybe it's like the thing with me where he's like well i i know i could do it but then when it comes into competition i haven't used it enough to like really feel comfortable with it or he's got the weird potato hand that randomly develops yeah um but like that's gone away significantly the more that I've just been playing in general as to where before it's like, I don't trust to throw this pretty much ever. Um, it's funny. There's a, the only time that I could do it was like, this is the only shot. Like this is it. And there's a shot at Cass. I was playing with Fred and someone else. Um, I was like, I have to get up and down and it has to be this line because yeah. there's no other way. And I was able to hit it and I just laughed because it's like, well, I can do it when it like matters here. So like, I'm still capable of doing it, but why does like, why do I just fucking potato out when it's, well, I could throw a sidearm or backhand. Right. I know I heavily lean on backhand, but I should be able to at least fire off a sidearm relatively decent. And then it turns into like dog shit. And then it's just like weird fluctuations. Um, but even still, like I'm trying to throw it. And I know that if it goes poorly, that there's the chance of it going poorly. And if it does, I'm just okay with it. Yeah. Because I'm at least trying to give it a chance to like work my way through it. And I'm eventually through that part. So now it's. Well, yeah, because you're working towards a long term goal. Yeah. Your tournament, your tournament today isn't your goal. Right. Your goal is like to be who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think if you're not enjoying it, um, you have to come up with some kind of practice regime that makes it fun. Yeah. Like whatever that's going to be. If it's just like going to a park and trying to throw for aces if it's just setting up a basket and like trying crazy shots, if it's whatever, but if you can't find a way to make practicing fun, mm -hmm. then yeah, maybe you should just take a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you can't figure out a way to go out and like do something with your putting, do mm -hmm. something with a forehand, do some kind of hyzer line or whatever, or play around with just putters or mm -hmm. if you can't figure out some way to take off the edge of comparing everything you're doing to the best round you've ever played, and just go out and do something for fun to practice, to keep you practicing, to make you more successful when you're playing tournaments. If like step one is just leading you to frustration, then it might be just like, you got to take a break. Yeah. You got to step away from it, engage your life in some way and then come back to it and be like, Oh shit, I remember this. Yeah. Cause that can happen. Like you can grind yourself into a hole where like all of a sudden it just seems like, you know, nothing's going your way. Like you just get that like, I call them like shit goggles on. Like everything yeah. you look at is like shit. You know, you're just like, yeah. this isn't going my way. That isn't going my way. This isn't where it should be. And and it's hard to have fun doing that. So if you can't figure out a way to at least make some kind of practice fun, then you should probably just take a break. Yeah, totally. Yep. Because I, I try to look at it as the first time that I ever went out and played or like the first couple of weeks that I was out and playing and just how much enjoyment I had just chucking something and just watching it fly. Yeah. So I try to just keep that happening. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm okay at chucking stuff where I want it to go. Sometimes it's hilariously terrible. And even now, like I can at least laugh at it because I know what I did wrong. And I know that I can give myself opportunities. Like it wasn't a, that was a one and done. Yeah. Like I can replicate that. I know I can. And then same on the holes that I'm messing up. Like there, I had a chance for Eagle this time and I didn't get it. 
but I didn't do anything that I couldn't replicate again. Yeah. How consistently I can do that, I don't know. Right. But I know I can do it again. So like the, what was it, 49 or 47? 47. 47. I know I can do it again. Like I know I've had all the opportunities that I've had before were there. It was just capitalizing on it. Right. Can you make all of your putts with my putters? Yeah. Right. (laughs) With your putters (laughs) that you gave to me that became my putters. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Exactly. Do you think DG will be as big or bigger than PGA? If so, how does one take it there? Yeah. And then the one of um, the, one of the things that he brought up was Tony Alva. Yeah. From skateboard. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. So I looked up Tony Alva on skateboarding. Yeah, he's I, ranked number eight out of however many right. people. Influential. In, in, yes. Yeah. So I uh, I used to be a huge skateboarding fan mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Me too. And then I maintained it over a while, especially when Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out. Yeah. In there, Jeff Rowley. Oh, me too. Uh, or Jeffrey Mullen, whatever. And uh, it was Rowley. And uh, anyways, so I got like into skateboarding when I was a kid. Uh, I hated actually doing tricky stuff on skateboards because my ankles and knees have been hot garbage since I was a small <laughs> child. And I was like, this is just going to kill me. But I would still go to the yeah. skate park. You know, I still have like to this day, like elbow pads, knee pads, wrist guards, helmet, and I'd go and yeah. skate around. Sweet longboard now. Yeah, I had a sweet longboarding. is long- a lot of fun. Yeah. Also, real quick, I found something that I really want to get is uh, surf trucks you can get for your longboard. So you can do crazy surf moves on your longboard and it looks sweet and then they're like 90 bucks really yeah surf trucks yes okay so like one truck they they attach to um i mean the board obviously i forget if it's to the truck mount itself or it's just the whole setup either way the back truck is very similar to a regular truck the front truck allows you to do like almost a zero point turn because it allows you to lean into the front the more you lean into like the corners on the front truck the more it's got room to flex and bend so it's a little taller but it allows you to get like the crazy lines and do crazy like specifically how you can on a surfboard which makes total sense and they look super fun let's check into that yeah and you can like um i forget what it's called when you push yourself but your feet are on the board you just like wiggle wiggle the whole time yeah and on there you can like go up hills like oh you like pump it Yeah. yeah yeah um he was doing it uphill. They're from, uh, I think, L.A. Or maybe I, in, they're in California. Yeah. And um, the couple guys that were showcasing them on the YouTube channel I watched were just pumping up hill like the whole way. They were racing. They're super cool. Yeah. Anyways, I lost where, <laughs> where I went off on this bridge from. So Tony Alva. So Tony Alva Sorry. is like one of the innovators of vert skating. Yes. Right. So that was the thing that he contributed to. uh skateboarding right like doing vert stuff whatever yeah. which then it was adopted and then became a huge part of skateboarding in general and all that mm-hmm. stuff um so with disc golf itself if we can compare it there's a few things that we can compare it to um a few sports which we've already brought in is going to be like we, we came into mma right mm-hmm. like mma is a younger sport than disc golf mma is fucking gigantic and the government yeah. like the biggest governing body of mma being the UFC was then sold for billions of dollars. Yeah. Right. And so you look at like, oh, okay, well, cool. Well, how does that work? And can disc golf do that? And the reality is like, there's no fucking way because no matter how you look at it, dudes throwing Frisbees and women throwing Frisbees in the woods or out in the open is never gonna be as entertaining as like someone getting kicked in the face and watching their jaw spin around their head. Yeah. Just never going to happen. Just human nature, like violence, right. And like any kind of like adrenaline, 
driven activity is going mm -hmm. to be more popular than something that's like, wow, that's really skillful. Yep. Um, so there's, there's a certain limit to appeal that comes from something being fun to do and something just being beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's plenty of things that are like really fun to do and they're beautiful to watch, but they don't garner like huge spectatorship and they're not like super generators of giant sponsorship dollars. Right. So the other thing that comes into it is difficulty of production in terms of actually like producing a product for media for people to watch the sport being played. So MMA, same thing. You have an arena and you have yeah. a ring. It's like his best case scenario. Yeah. You got a few dudes yeah. with shoulders on, with shoulder cameras and then like mounted cameras in other places and you, you got it covered. Yeah. You're always in the dry. You're never in the wet, right? Like there's really yep. like, it's a very easy controlled environment. And there's always violence. Yeah. And the, yeah. and the commentators are right there watching live. Like there's no like yeah. lag or weirdness or anything like that. So, um, so I think MMA has kind of a best case scenario. Violent sports have always been very, very popular with humankind since like all the way back to the beginning of humans. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like a, a recipe for success um, that disc golf, no matter what they do, can't follow that. Another one is going to be, let's say, is skateboarding, right? So skateboarding became popular, let's say, in the 80s, right? Similar like time frame to disc golf. Um, skateboarding is probably a little bit older, but it became popular in the 80s and then... It was like a slow go, right? And then became very popular. And then with the change of like the double nose boards and like street skating and then vert skating came on and then like it became very, very popular. Mm -hmm. And a big part of it even today is the danger, the danger element of it and the adrenaline rush of it. Watching Bob Burnquist roll down a giant ramp and then hurl himself in the yeah. air <laughs> while he does spins and grabs yeah. and all this other stuff and then lands and then skates across and goes up a giant vert, shoots 20 feet up in the air, does another trick, lands it coming down, and then slides across on his knees and is like, I just fucking won. Yeah. You're never going to be able, like, an ace on a thousand foot hole isn't going to touch the adrenaline rush for the no. crowd that watching that dude fly up in the air is going yeah. to. Because he's risking his life. Yeah. 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 Like, Eagle's like, risking his hand. Yeah. <laughs> but most people, you know, and, yeah. and uh, Kevin Jones is risking his personal. Yeah, his hips yeah his hips yeah. and knees um <laughs> but yeah you, you you can't compete with it and the other thing is again of like filming and producing the media for skateboarding is a fixed place mm -hmm. right and they're also not skateboarding in the rain yeah it's canceled yeah exactly <laughs> it's just not happening. it's just not gonna happen yeah it's gonna go to tomorrow yeah or and next if, weekend yeah and if you want to go watch skateboarding you're gonna go and you're gonna sit mm-hmm you're going to have popcorn and hot dogs, and you're going to be indoors. Yeah. And if it's an outdoor park, it's probably going to be pretty nice weather. And mm -hmm. you're going to be able to do all that stuff. Um, and see all of it. And see all of it yep. right there, right? So I think there's some advantages to, to skateboarding. Do I think that disc golf can take a lesson from, like, the evolution and explosion of skateboarding and how popular it became and how it got to be a bigger deal? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do I think you're dealing with a completely different product? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so in that way, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it can follow skateboarding. Do I think it's going to be a similar thing of like, you have guys that are sticking with it and that are like helping to grow the sport. Like Tony Hawk, when he was young, you know, he's out there with his knee pads on doing his like flat work and you're mm -hmm. like, wow, this is kind of lame. And then like <laughs> later on in life, he's doing like a 900 and you're like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And he's got video games. He's that, just trend setting. He's yeah. doing all sorts of crazy shit. And he made yeah. the sport gigantic. Yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. Like I can see that. Um, 
are you going to have that with disc golf of like people that were in the sport, you know, like by today's standards, like, you know, you have people that are stars or you have like Paul or whatever it is. And in 20 years, it can be like, oh yeah, he was, he was a big deal in disc golf when disc golf wasn't popular. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, you know, the quarter of a million or half a million people that watch disc golf right now, when you have like 10 million people watching, it'd be like, oh yeah, that's back in the day. Um, I don't know. But I think in terms of growing the sport and moving the sport forward, there's a lot of room. There's a way that like disc golf can become something that even people that don't play become passionate about or that becomes part of their radar um, and that it becomes part of like, you know, culture. I think that there is room for that. And I think that there's a likelihood that that can happen. But I think you have to be realistic about the cap that disc golf is going to deal with. Yeah. Because it's a young sport and it is a sport that comes from another sport. Um, so can it be as big as the PGA? Can it be bigger, bigger than the PGA? I don't think there's a fucking chance in hell. Yeah. Because golf in general, where it exists in culture is part of the reason why it's such a big deal mm-hmm. because it is seen as something to strive towards, right? Like people, once you're part of like a country club, let's say, which is centered around golf, yep. you've like made it, yeah. right? Like you're someone in society. If you belong, like this is Southeast Michigan. If you belong to Oakland Hills Country Club, like you're kind of a big deal. Yeah. Like there's no way around it. Yeah. And like being good at golf is something corporate wise that's like important. Part of it is because it's such a big, like such a big expense and such a like, I don't, I don't know how to like, it's such a showpiece for who you are and where you. Yeah, made you it go sell clients on whatever it is you're doing because you take them somewhere on a ridiculous golf golfing, right? Yeah, and like we're gonna go out and like play this fucking really exclusive course and talk about our business, and it gives me some credibility into who I am as a businessman because I can get us out on this course and we can play this like ridiculous thing, and I'm pretty good at golf, which means that I also have the time to put towards being a good golfer, which means I probably am successful mm-hmm. you know um so i don't think that disc golf will ever be able to capture that part of our society or be that in our culture mm-hmm. because you can play it for free and no one is ever going to have a club that you have to pay tens of thousands of year tens of thousands of dollars a year to be a part of just so you can disc golf on their club right their course yeah. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. You're never going to have some like, you know, top level chef running a kitchen, right? For club members at a disc golf course. Yeah. You're just never going to have that. It's not, it's not going to be a thing because I think, um, it's too easy to play. It's too, or not too easy to play, but it's too, there's too much access to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if you just played like really shitty golf courses, it's still going to cost you 40 bucks mm-hmm. with between balls and, and everything else and all that stuff. Um, and you're still kind of like looked down upon, you know what I mean? Like if you were going to try to have a business meeting at Rackham, yeah. right. They'd be like, Oh sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I've Let's been do there. This. So, um, there's a big part in our culture that like being like successful, like golf is some part of that, you know, yeah. and there's people that don't, that that's not part of the culture. And I don't know if that'll change throughout time, but where, golf has nested in our society has to do with being wealthy and successful. And yeah. I don't think disc golf will ever nest in that place. Yeah. So people spend a lot of money 
a lot of time trying to get good at golf and trying to dedicate their lives to like doing stuff with golf because there is some kind of social payoff. I don't know if there will ever be a social payoff for being good at disc golf. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, Paul, what, like, what'd you accomplish in life? I don't know. Multiple world champions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And he's worth seven yeah. figures. Yeah. Yeah. So him. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's one dude. Yeah. Yeah. But besides, uh, yeah. But besides, <laughs> yeah. like you, you know, you could play at like your club championship and win more than twenty grand. Yeah. You know, you could be what do we look up? Hundred fiftieth in the world, still made just under a million dollars last yeah. year. Yeah. So and like an, an obscene amount of money. Yeah, and so like your sponsorship and stuff that are going to it, like, you know, sponsors for golf are like Jaguar, Mercedes Benz, Rolex, Tag Heuer. Right. And then all the golf providers, because people that they know that care about golf are the people that are buying Rolexes and Mercedes and Jaguars and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And until you have that level of, you know, sponsorship in disc golf, you're never going to have the money for the purses. It's never going to be that prestigious. It's never going to be all that. So I don't know. Most people, you know, in golf aren't buying Jaguars and Mercedeses. To be sweet in disc golf, they're not. I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen a Rolex on the course yet. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I should have got one. So I think that there's. He used to play in a watch. I think I that's know. so funny, like a big like a, watch yeah, on his left a hand, giant one. Yeah. yeah. Um, he has eye on the prize, so I don't think it'll ever be that big. Where it falls in line and how big it gets, I don't know. It it just depends on like how well it's executed, and um, the slow roll of people like actually getting out and playing. Mm-hmm. It's a sport that everybody can play which is one of the advantages of regular golf because anybody can play. Even if you're old and beat up, you can still play golf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it'll be big. I think it's going to be, you know, it'll like continue to get bigger, but I don't think it'll ever even be a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, ball golf. Yeah. Hopefully you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, I like in the way my brain works, I don't even understand how it could be close. Yeah. Like I just don't. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just hope that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. on paper, it makes sense. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. like, I don't know. I just, I want somebody big to just like get in on it. Or just like a couple of people, a couple of brands just to like, they see some sort of weird potential of just like making a bunch of money through disc golf. If they just invested whatever, like, Hey, we could get a kickback of millions yeah. if we just put in a million into this for the year. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be sweet, though. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> if you go back and you look at things, like when I, I've been watching older tournaments and stuff, like the sponsors for those tournaments don't even exist. That's not a good sign. Yeah. It's not a good sign. <laughs> like people that sponsored those tournaments 10 years ago, they're not even companies anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good <laughs> sign, you know? So, you know, like Grip 6, uh, Grip Bags. Uh, OTB, um, you know, all of the manufacturers, there's a handful of like really serious sponsors that sponsor a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and they're doing well right now. They're doing all right right now. Yeah. You just have to see like if you, like I've said before, and I put my money where my mouth is like I sponsored a tournament Mm -hmm. and you know, like if people do business with me, I'll continue to sponsor tournaments. Um, you gotta put your, you gotta, you gotta follow it up if disc golf growth and money in disc golf is something that's important to you, then support the sponsors of disc golf. Yeah. For Christmas, get a grip six belt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Buy your discs from OTB, 
whatever it is, you know, and actually support those people. So that way they look at like, hey, once I started sponsoring disc golf, I got a lot more business. Yeah. If you're just going to sit on the sidelines and you don't support any of the sponsors and you're like, we should be as big as ball golf. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing to do it? Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, what do you do when you're 10 years from Masters and still don't throw as far? Classic Wayne. Yes. <laughs> so, you just have to be realistic. You know, um, a lot of people quit disc golf because of this question. Yeah. Yes. It either comes down to distance or putting or scores. Yeah. Right? Like... We talked about this early on. You have a natural athletic ability that you start with. X. Yeah. And you ride that out. How you think about it, what you think is going to work, how you approach it, what your system is. You get in. You've never done it. You get more familiar with it. You get more familiar with it. You get better at it. Eventually, you're going to hit a plateau, Mm -hmm. which is going to be the best that your approach is ever going to get you to doing what you're doing. Yep. And at that point, you assess what's going to help me and what are my options to get better most people just even if you get and that's assuming you get to the question if you want to get better yeah yeah but in this situation it would seem like that would seems like yes yes (laughs) so if you keep doing what you've been doing odds are you're going to keep getting the same results that you've gotten if you wanted to do something different if you wanted to gain distance or get lower scores or do whatever it is you'd have to change what you're doing so at that point i would probably go from consulting my own brain which has gotten me as far as i've gotten to consulting someone else's brain so take a lesson from somebody who's better than you or somebody who's really good at explaining disc golf or whatever it is um watch videos take film of yourself uh work out get in better shape add to your strength add to your mobility um clean up your form you know you can do that any number of ways but definitely you probably have to step outside of what you've been doing look at something differently do something differently and really hold yourself accountable to that yeah because regret like if you're wanting to get better and you're still doing the same well you're gonna have to do something else like it's just kind of there it's just what are you wanting to do what are you willing to do and do you really want to get better or do you just want to say that you're getting not that you're just saying you want to get better and you're not willing to do it but what are you willing to do like pay bribe like blackmail somebody like i got this of you from however many years ago teach me how to play disc yeah (laughs) like putt whatever um but i would imagine like the biggest thing comes down to probably just practice and likely you probably imagine or if you can't imagine you can can just compare yourself like if you take video of yourself you probably have a good idea of what things should be doing based on if you watch disc golf or not. But like compare yourself to Simon Eagle, Paul, KJ. Like what are they doing that you're not doing? And you can put yourself side by side and then just see. Because that's a huge thing, especially for myself. Like I feel like I'm doing something and then I play it back. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that or this or that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Your, your arm thing or yeah. something. And it could be could just be something simple like that that you're just like, missing distance or accuracy or both or whatever um or maybe you're just getting the disc the same distance but with instead of trying to give it a hundred percent and you get it 400 feet on the flex line you give it 75 percent and you get it 400 feet on like a straight line or whatever um 
Yeah. It's just, what are you willing to do? Do you actually want to do it or you just want to talk about it? Yeah. 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 I think, you know, like a big part of it as you get older, like if you're 10 years away from masters, putting you at 30, but as you get older, your mobility, you start to lose your, your muscle uh, mass, you start to lose all that stuff. So you have to address that just to stay where you're at. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get better, you're definitely gonna have to address mobility issues. You're definitely gonna have to address like, you know, musculature in your body, like what support or stability muscles are lacking. Um, Cause it's a very dynamic movement, especially like driving forehand or backhand. You're using a lot of different muscle groups and you're counting on, you know, uh, coordinated movements starting from your foot out your arm. Mm-hmm. It uses basically your whole body. Yeah. So if you have some part that's limited in terms of how it moves or your confidence in its ability to do it or whatever, you can be favoring it and that can be cheating you out of, you know, whatever distance it is that you could potentially get. Yeah. So I, I would say your first bet would be, you know, get a film of yourself, look at it, be realistic about like what it is, figure out what's funky. And then if it's not something that you can address, then try to bring someone else in. Yeah. One of your friends that's really good with form. They don't even have to be really good with disc golf, but if they're just really good with form or get with someone in our community, that's like really good. Like Skylar, I always go to him like in terms of as a reference uh, for people that want someone to watch them throw. I mm-hmm. think his ability to look at your mechanics and be like, this is off. Yeah. Like, is, is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like he can watch and, and his ability to break down form and then explain it to you is, is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So if it was something that you were serious about, I'd take film of it. If it's something that you can't quite see, or if you can see it, it would be like, how do I address that? You know, Skylar's a wealth of knowledge Yeah. and just have him like, you know, watch you throw or whatever. And he can tell you like, He's also pretty good at generating drills to work on specific parts of your throw. Yeah. To improve. Being a former highly skilled athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And currently highly skilled athlete. Currently highly skilled. Probably futurely highly skilled athlete. Yeah. His kid's probably going to be a highly skilled athlete. Yeah. I saw that kid. Yeah. Did you see the Popeye? Oh my God. Congratulations, Skylar. Yeah. Congrats, guys. Super pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Super great. Oh, Nico. Yeah. New Nico. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you just, you you just got to address it. Uh, a lot of people don't, and a lot of people then just get sick of it and they quit. Like I've I've seen a lot of people like ride that initial wave. They get as good as they're going to get. And they think like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep getting better every year. And then eventually they hit that year where like, they don't get better. Yeah. And then, yeah, cause it doesn't work by year. It's just time. You're just like on a line. Yeah. And so like, if your peak is this amount of time, like you do this amount of throws the way you're doing it, no matter how long it takes you to get here that's just where you're going like if you're if in 365 days you got here that's one year but if it took you and you were playing every single day versus you're playing every other day and it takes you twice as long to get there obviously it's just it's not per year it's just however much time you're putting in yeah what it is you're doing it's it's results based not effort based yeah you can try as hard as you want if you're if you're not doing it right if you're not using like efficient form if you don't have the flexibility i can't squat more than 30 pounds and then you watch them and they're just only lifting with their neck yeah how long you been squatting for i don't know a couple years i feel like they wouldn't be squatting for a couple years they'd be in a wheelchair yeah so (laughs) i don't know and and you know like if you can get some insight and then figure out a way to make it fun to improve yeah you know you'd probably be on your path yeah uh, one of my biggest ones was learning acceptance after throws no matter what yeah because what are you gonna do it's already (laughs) there yeah, it's already happened. You it's already in the, threw it's it. It's in that bush. Yeah. yeah, it's for sure in there. Or it's parked or it's anywhere in between. Yeah. But. Yes. 
Yeah, or you throw a terrible shot and you're super pumped about it because everything else went great except for the direction the it got. Except for the direction. <laughs> it got the disc, released on. The disc selection and wind. Yeah, the, exactly. Everything else went great. Yeah, because so. I feel like the, the poorest way. So I threw a shot at Stony. We talked about this before, but I threw a shot at Stony. Power transfer and everything was great. Like footwork felt great. Transfer into it felt great. Distance was great until it hit the tree line or whatever. Yeah. Just way off tar- by like hundreds of feet probably. Well, yeah. probably like 150 feet. Probably almost 90 degrees. Almost. Yeah, it was like 60 degrees. Yeah. Like you were trying to go here and you went. Yeah. There. Pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. But I was super happy with it just because even though it was a terrible shot, only one variable of it was a terrible shot. Yeah. All three, four other variables were like spot on money yeah, yeah exactly so my takeaway from that is like as long as i get all that stuff and i have that feeling and i want to replicate that those three variables i just have to focus on one other one in there too yep yeah <laughs> all right you ready to work out are we are we are I'm, we ready i'm ready all right we well, got a big workout oh my god i'm so excited are you ready all right we will, oh. we will see you next week bye bye guys